0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on X, formerly Twitter, at political underscore beats, and join the conversation there. Also on Facebook as well, search for Political Beats. We ask you to subscribe to our feed for those new episodes via Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, tune in, nationalreview.com as well. Listen and leave reviews where possible to help others Find the program and of course we also ask you to help us join us at our patreon page but we give you something for it patreon.com slash political beats support the show help it stay ad free as it has been there's entry level for your support and occasional voting privileges and bonus posts mid-level for early access to all our programs and at a higher audio quality and our upper level best friends We'll get the early access, the higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content episodes. Next month is our Ask Us Anything December episode. So get in to take part in that. Also remastered shows, playlists, and more. All of it at patreon.com slash political beats. Now the part of the program where we thank individually some of our supporters. And being Thanksgiving, I went back to some of our longest-standing supporters in the program to say a special thanks to people like Matthew Coates, Nathan Anderson, Sean Jester, Justin Cassell, Phil Wegman, Derek Wilchinsky, Jason Swick, John Kroger, Daniel Boylan, John McFerrin, Chet Archbold, all of those people, and, and there are more, too, have been with us since the very beginning of our Patreon push. Thank you so much. If you want to join us now and be a part of it going forward, patreon.com slash political beats. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on X at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I'm
1: hiding away in happy seclusion, Scott. See me, hear me. Don't you know you
0: can't get near
1: me. You can only hope to hear me on this podcast, (laughs) on this podcast.
0: Jeff is on X at Esoteric CD I am on Twitter, my Twitter, friend. I am never yeah, on X. Yeah. Our mm. guest on today's program is a repeat guest. You might remember his voice and insight from our wonderful episode on Robbie Folks a while back. He is a very occasional writer for National Review, one of the originals back in the early 2000s as National Review Online was launched also the author of the nonfiction bestseller, The Molecule of More, and a sequel coming in the fall of 2024. He's Mike Long. Mike, thanks for joining us once again.
2: Oh, it's good to be here. Thank, thank you very much for having me. To get to, to get to talk about our topic today is a treat. And to talk about Robbie, what a blast we had, huh? He's, he's the best. Did you see him on his most recent tour? <laughs> not only did i see him on the most recent he saw more of me than he would ever want we, we okay, and you're lunch. like you're in
1: every show you're like you're like that guy who's always in every every show and he's like oh, i don't know same I, set list he's it, gonna be disappointed you know like that guy. It, it, it
2: was it was it was that it was that movie where where they uh they they take the guy hostage i'm your biggest fan <laughs> i think no, we comedy have, or something like that the, yeah, yeah. There you yeah. Go. we uh we had we, we had lunch and then i i came to the show and uh, after the show, my car wouldn't start. Well, it turned out my car was dead. <laughs> and so not only did Robbie go to lunch with me, play a song for me, he actually drove me home. So it was the trifecta of, of folks' obsessiveness. Full but, service. Uh, but no, Rob,
0: Robbie's a good friend, and, uh, and he's a treat. I asked because uh, I think on Facebook, Robbie had a post-tour A wrap up post in which he he, he shouted out some people he saw along the way, uh, omitting last names to protect the innocent. And one of them said Mike L. And I thought, (laughs) I bet I know who that Mike L. is. And in fact, it Uh, appears I was right.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah, see, I think he described
2: me as reactionary thought leader. Yes. yes. (laughs) It was another clue, (laughs) in fact. Another clue, yes. Because when you think reactionary, you don't even need the thought leader. You just need reactionary to go, oh, well, that's Mike Wong. Oh,
0: yeah. Speaking of reactionary thought leader, Mike, give us a brief bio of yourself. Tell people what you've done, what you're going to do in, in fall of 24, in case they missed our previous episode. Sure, sure. Well, this is
2: the part if you're listening where you just want to leave this playing and go get your popcorn because this is not important. I, uh, I was trained as a physicist and a mathematician. I wrote code for a few years and then I became a writer and I've been a writer starting as a speechwriter for the past 25 years or so. Uh, um, I, uh, I've written a lot of plays, mostly produced in New York, written, uh, uh, ghosted several books and I have my own book out, uh, called The Molecule of More and its fifth year of publication, 23 languages, nearly a quarter million copies sold. Domestically, we're doing real well with that. We'll have a new book out next fall with my uh, my, my writing partner and I on that, Dr. Dan Lieberman, uh, and it's called the uh, the uh, the uh, it's called Taming the Molecule of More. And this is a book about dopamine. It's about why you do what you do. Um,
0: I think you'll like it. All right, that's about a year from when we speak right now, waiting with bated breath for that release. Our our featured artist on today's program is Joe Jackson and one that I've been looking forward to covering for quite some time, and one that was new to Jeff, largely. He'll tell you more about that in a second. Oh, yeah. But Boy, Mike has the floor to begin to tell us why you love Joe Jackson, uh, why people should care about his music, and why he means so much to you.
2: Well, there are so many things to say about it, but let's start right here. A lot of us come to pop music for a million different reasons, but the most attractive to me is when you find an individual who has decided to be an artist and who has been fortunate enough to hook in early and to be able to explore that artistry in any way they want. Todd Rundgren is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Somebody whose first few albums were, you know what? Not only is this what I like and not only is this what I've accumulated so far as I've learned my craft, you're going to like it. You're going to buy it and it's going to uh, fit me in the firmament. And after that, he went in all kinds of directions. Well, there aren't a lot of people like that. We can sit here and name a few. We were talking about Ben Folds, all of us here a little while ago. That's another one. But Joe Jackson is a special case, uh, even more, I think, than than Todd Rundgren, because even as he explores all these various kinds of, of, of music and musicianship, he tends to do it in a way that's still appealing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can find a lot of Todd Rundgren albums that, and I love Todd Rundgren. I have a photograph up here of him on my my wall. You can find a few Todd Rundgren albums, forgive me, Todd, that you don't want to come back to too often. (laughs) But with Joe Jackson, it's hard to find a record where there's not something worthwhile in it. And this is a guy who uh, is the best example I know of, of this idea that if you master the fundamentals of an art, then you've cleared the way for the unconscious to speak now that sounds a little a little hinky so let me tell you in a way that i think you'll 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 find you agree with me If you're struggling at every point uh, to to just do the basics, if you're an artist and you don't know anything about perspective, for instance, you're going to be struggling with perspective the whole time. But if you're an artist and you know how to paint perspective, once that's done, your creativity can employ that skill towards something beautiful, something edifying, something that makes you feel good or the people who read it feel good or at least make them think. Joe Jackson is one of those guys. He's a musician, sort of like Warren Zevon, for instance, who's an absolute master at what he does. And he's so good at it that that just clears the decks for his creativity to flow. And it starts right away with those first couple of albums. I'm the man and look sharp and it flows through his entire catalog. Now, again, uh, the three of us have, have, uh, had some discussion about how much of that is worthwhile. Some albums are obviously better than others, and there's a whole range of records that Joe Jackson himself has said, eh, I'm not so sure those are worth coming back to, (laughs) but, but those of us who are, who are, I wouldn't consider myself an expert at all. I'm not saying I'm an enthusiastic fan, but I can dip that needle, drop that needle on any one of these records. And find something and you know, wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. Wow, I hadn't heard anybody do it that way. Or wow, what kind of playing it is. So Joe Jackson is sort of this artistic lifetime friend that some of us have been fortunate enough to adopt, to bring along with us. And that's, that's why I love him at heart. Never mind the particulars of the songs, which I can go on and on about and I will, but, but as a human being who's living an artist's life and bringing enrichment to those who follow Joe Jackson is first first grade on that at the very top
0: of those unique artists in which when someone says, oh, I'm a big Joe Jackson fan, you actually probably have to stop and say, well, which part? Maybe you like it all, but there are different parts of his career that will be attractive to different types of music listeners. And as Mike said, there really is something to like essentially across the board. And we'll we'll skip around a bit Uh, You know, as we go chronologically uh, out a few things that are perhaps a little uh, less uh, resident with listeners, but there's a there's a reason behind everything. Joe Jackson is an artist that does what he wants and and does it when he wants to. And all of these albums we'll talk about today are very interesting backstories and execution stories. And Jackson himself is an interesting guy. Uh, we were talking just before the, the show began about his uh, his memoir. And I had picked it up a couple of weeks ago and mentioned to Jeff. And Jeff said, did you, did you read it? And I said, well, I, you know, kind of. I, I, I skimmed it. His memoir ends essentially with the release of his first album, look sharp because he said well the life of a pop star that's not of interest to anyone and what is of interest is already public record so why would i write about it so it's a memoir about his entire time to get to that point he's a he's a different guy in a lot of ways my joe jackson introduction was those first two albums and specifically the second one i'm the man as we speak i have uh, framed in my office a, a big 24 by 36. I'm the man poster. I think one of the first times I was introduced was via the college radio station as many of my stories begin, but but playing in a varieties of music and finding this song, the title track from that album, and enjoying it immensely. And thinking, I think it was somewhat more recent than it was. This would have been 1998, 1999. You look at the back of the record and you say, oh, that's, that's 1979, in fact. That's a good 20 years ago or so when that came out.
3: Pretty soon now, you know I'm gonna make a car.
0: then you go backwards. For me, it was Look Sharp. And there was this song that I knew for many, many years. And one of those tricks, you know, pre-internet tricks where, uh, at least in my case, uh, I I wasn't sure who sang the song. And honestly, I didn't know what the name of the song was. And of course, that's Step It Out, a song that I have been in love with for an immensely long time before even realizing it was part of the Joe Jackson canon. And then there's more. And then you go in Body and Soul and there's all these different sort of different genres that Joe Jackson plays with and plays in and ends up incorporating into his sound as he moves forward. Um, You know, he's just along the way picking up things and they'll come back in various ways across his albums. So interesting in how it comes to be. And, you know, the instrumentation changes and the, the composition changes, but at core is an artist who has a really good understanding of how to write music, uh, how to write songs, and how to write them in a way, as Mike alluded to, that, are, that is quite attractive to people. People will, will listen and say, oh, that's a, that's a neat hook. Oh, I want to come back and hear that piano one more time uh, or, or that trumpet or how, how, how that's arranged. All very interesting through the years. He was, and still is in some corners, I suppose, grouped into that late 70s pub rock, angry young man mix with Elvis Costello and Graham Parker. In fact, he was born the same month and the same year as Elvis Costello. And uh, where Elvis also had these dalliances with other genres and and different types of albums, uh, I, I would say Joe Jackson did it more successfully than even Elvis did. And I'm a giant Elvis fan, but the, the, the stuff that sort of goes off the well-worn path that he does sometimes is not as successful for me. But Joe Jackson's stuff very much is. Incredibly interesting artist. And I'm really happy that, once again, we've been able to introduce Jeff to an artist that should be in his wheelhouse. And we found out, of course, he, that he absolutely is.
3: People say there's no such thing as...
1: that i knew nothing about whatsoever and of course that's for me one of the stories in this episode uh, is going to be a sheepish explanation of how i completely missed out on joe jackson even in 2023 at this late date how could i an encyclopedically wild fan of artists like as you said elvis costello who's going to be coming up a lot during this show for me nick Lowe, squeeze dave edmonds i love all those artists how did I not know anything about Joe Jackson other than a radio song that I didn't just like Scott, I didn't even know it was by him. I think it was like the last show we did. I just, before we logged off for the, uh, I, I was telling Scott, my story about stepping out and he laughed because he's like, that's the exact same thing that happened to me. That was just a great radio tune. And that was all Joe Jackson was. And why I can actually retrace my steps if I'm thinking about it to explain, because I, at that time, I was diving into a whole new wave scene. I started that in late high school. So with Elvis Costello, then the punk and the new wave. And then instead of going further, I diverted into two genres that, unsurprisingly became my twin favorites, which are post-punk and like prog rock, art rock and stuff like that. I'd have gotten to Jackson in time if I had stayed on course, but instead I got diverted. I regret that so much now. Basically, almost completely unbeknownst to me, there is a major songwriter and band leader. by the way, I'd argue as well, out there who wrote countless albums full of music that was directly in my musical and lyrical wheelhouse. A guy who follows his own fascinating evolution out of his new wave origins into this sort of unique pa- piano-based, as the way I'd characterize it, strand of jazz and sophisticated balladry, while both maintaining my interest nearly the entire time and occasionally surprising the hell out of me. I never knew naught of this dude except, you know, that synth pop song I associated with bands like Flock of Seagulls. And it turns out his name was Joe Jackson and I missed out on him all along. I had this anecdote I was telling Scott there was a kid I knew in college, like my freshman year of college, and he's like, Oh, you're really into music. This is my embarrassing story to tell. Usually I, I tell them at other people's expense, but he's like, Hey, well, what do you think of Joe Jackson? I said you're really into Elvis Costello and, and and I said, Oh man, I fing hate the Eagles. I thought he was talking about Joe Walsh. That's how little <laughs> I knew about this guy. It's downright embarrassing, and it's, it's been such a wonderful discovery. artist? I don't know. It depends on the definition. I think he's right there on the margins. I just, I'm not sure it matters, but he is great for sure. And since I know nothing about him relative to Scott or Mike, I'm mostly relegated to giving you like my immediate and, and almost certainly wildly ignorant takes. So forgive me in advance. I'll say this much. A lot of what I take from his music Joe Jackson's music can ex- be explained basically by – it was like the three biographical data points that Scott gave me in the run-up to the show. He just sent me an email. It's like, one, this guy's got a – Scott covered most of him. He's got a really prickly personality, and he's very weird and self-conscious. Two, he's bisexual, which you are going to get from the lyrics anyway without even being told if you're listening to what he's writing. And then three – And this to me is actually the most telling thing of all is that, and something that Mike touched upon as well, he's a former conservatory student playing piano. That last detail is what matters the most to me in explaining Jackson's evolution. It's the fact that he is a a classically trained Keyboardist with the sort of technical chops, the way Mike was talking about. When you master these tools, they sort of clear the decks and they free you to create and you know multiple genres. And it was because of that training and and the bet that I placed with Scott as like, I was hoping he'd read the biography. I wanted to know <laughs> if like many many conservatory students, because I knew a bunch of them in college, uh, on piano uh, they would study classical, of course, during the day. That would be their coursework, like you know writing counterpoint and stuff like that. But at night they'd moonlight and play jazz at bars that's where they got paid extra money and that's what they love to do that's how they cut loose now if joe jackson was doing the same thing at the royal conservatory my bet is he was also playing down at the local bars the jazz and the swing stuff and the stuff that he later shocked the world at being so capable of incorporating into his own music i bet he'd been playing that kind of music all along and i think that explains a lot about you know how his songwriting itself evolved over time. But again, I'm the guy who's just blue-skying this. <laughs> Jackson's been a wonderful discovery for me. And at this point, I just got to turn the reins over to Scott to explain as best he can who this guy is and, and how he came out of nowhere and how the heck I didn't know about him for so long.
0: As we uh, dig into Joe Jackson, whose uh, uh, birth name, David Jackson, changed to Joe around when he was 20 years old. Uh, Jeff uh is pretty dead on with some of his uh projections as to what he was doing as a youth uh he was trained very early on he grew up working class uh in a family that was pretty uninterested in the arts um he was bad at sports he was socially awkward he was excellent at piano and violin, but uh, those days, uh, somewhat like these days, that didn't really get you very far, I suppose, in terms of being cool. had, had a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music, and going back to the age of 16 or so... Was playing... Scott,
1: there is literally a song in the uh, musical "You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown," starring the Peanuts characters, yeah. about how much of a loser Charlie Brown is for having to play the violin. <laughs> so like, that trope goes back to the '50s, my yes. friend.
0: <laughs> Joe Jackson wasn't scoring. Uh, started playing piano in bars at the age of 16, and uh, and played at cabarets to to make money. So he he, he was playing all over the place to try to raised money to record a demo. Uh, it was an early band that was called Edward Bear and eventually renamed to Arms and Legs. And they broke up in 78 uh, after a couple of unsuccessful uh, singles. And this is when the beginnings of what would become the debut record were, were being put into place and, and being written. In, uh, in 78, uh, a producer heard that demo tape and signed him to a Records, where he'd spend uh, about a decade or so, a little more than a decade, putting out music. And this is the, the, the intro. This is where we get to, uh, again, what I argue and have argued is the greatest year of music ever, 1979. There are dual Joe Jackson releases in this year. And the one we begin with is the debut album, look sharp and i ask mike to begin our conversation on this super duper five star knockout debut album from joe jackson
3: mother doesn't go out anymore just sits at home
2: I'll I'll start by uh, alluding to a comment that I think I think you made, which was every track, every track goes. There's nothing uh, there's nothing on here where you go. well, oh, I'll skip over that. It's it's all there. Uh, I'm pulling up now so I can look at the track listing. Um, so because I don't want to skip anything.
1: I tell you my one of my favorite inside jokes on that is well, a song called pretty girls which is basically just two other famous songs recycled into one which is you know do what diddy by Manfred Mann, <laughs> and the in the midnight hour by wilson pickett and it's just both riffs blatantly stolen why because he can and he just slaps a little sexist lyric on top of it he says he's not proud <laughs> of it these days but i love it to death here
3: she comes just a walk to walking down the street singing down to be do do wop a do do wop a do do wop down to be do do wop a do do wop
2: Well, I, I'm, I'm looking at this now, and I'm thinking about how it sounds right out of the gate. And it fits in with all the stuff that was coming out. As you said, this is just blasting out of England. Here it is. And the first song is One More Time. The next one, I'm reading right off the screen, Sunday Papers, until you finally get to the single is she really going out with him. But there's nothing in here that doesn't work. One More Time is blistering. Da, 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 da. Just that tight little guitar. And this is a piano guy, but yet he leads with that guitar stuff. Uh, it's just every- model
1: like, is what it sounds like to me. Something like off of That's- no action or, you know, like that kind of a beginning to an album. It's just Blaze. <laughs>
2: song here sticks and I'm thinking about as you get into it because usually things fade a little bit they don't hear you get down you're halfway through the record you're near the end of the record actually and you get do the instant mash and he's got this snarky little commentary going it's sharp I mean I wish I had more than superlatives to describe how good this is But as a first record, you know, a lot of first records and everything's downhill from there. You don't even know that I'm the man is coming not long after, but here's look sharp. Gosh, the hearing of it is going to blow away any description I can make of it.
1: Well, I mean, I think the thing that, that I zoom in on first is how professional it sounds for a debut. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is actually, again, so stupid that I only heard this this year for the first time. But this, in no way, sounds like a first album. Elvis Costello's first album sounds very amateurish. It, it My does. Name is true, frankly, it sounds rather amateurish compared to this. Okay, this sounds to me almost like REM's Murmur in that it's like a little bit eerie, how assured and well put together and well presented they are first time out of the gate there's no like you know you know hefty demo sessions from like 1977 and 78 there's no prehistory to joe jackson he knew exactly what he wanted and he got it right out the start and i think the most fascinating thing about this album is that how it, it leans into the sort of uk reggae fixation mm-hmm. that uh was just like notorious because like you know, the joke about like the all the punk and the new wave bands in england is that they got tired of playing three chords fast really quickly so if any of them had any musical talent they branched out at least into reggae which was like acceptable on the scene but it was a little more difficult to play at least to play authentically until it required some actual skill and some chops and so there's just a whole passel of these white you know punk and new wave bands doing reggae attempts We, we saw nick lowe doing a bunch of them on like his debut album elvis costello's got watching the detectives and then here is a guy who just this this in the next few albums are suffused with that sort of rhythmic drive, which again is unique for a guy who's starting you know on a piano as his basis, as his compositional basis. And one of the most fascinating things about "Look Sharp" and "I'm the Man" as albums is how kind of rockist and uh, guitar-oriented and rhythm-oriented they are. Beat crazy, even the title alone tells you what it is. And despite the fact that he's written all these melodies on keyboards, and and again you know just like Mike said, I mean there's there's nothing here that, that is lame uh the one of course that you have to mention is is she really going out with him which is like a, a song that everybody knew except me um i was again in college so I mean, the, the same person who asked me about joe jackson to follow up that story i uh said joe walsh and he's like no no, no 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 joe jackson <laughs> and, and think, is she really going out with him and then i finally I, would, I think i got it off of like you know napster or whatever it was it was 2000 um and I had never heard this before and it was a beautiful and lovely song, but I didn't really bother to, you know, go and, you know, then go explore his discography again because I was off on other pursuits. But the resilience of that pop melody is just so amazing i've heard like five different live arrangements of it that he's done throughout his career and all of them sound different and yet superb and it's all tied to the most wonderful lyric about feudal masculinity ever i mean that is a really sharp lyric that's what made People immediately compare him to Elvis Costello, except he was inevitably gentler instead of Elvis's rage and bio and like, you know, love is like a tumor. You've got to cut it out. Well, here's this sad guy sitting up in his room and, and you know, he's a big man. What's the nice is like, you know, if looks could kill, then he's marked down as dead mm-hmm. because all I'm going to do is just sit up here in my lonely room and look out the window at the beautiful girl of my dreams and the jerk that she ended up going off to get married to. Man, what's become of my life? It's a beautiful lyrical twist on a really age old theme, and it's got to be obviously the highlight of the record.
3: staring while my coffee goes cold look over there there, there's a lady that I used to know she's married now or engaged or something so I'm told is she really going out with him is she really Take him home tonight. Is she really going out and with it? Cause if my eyes don't deceive me, there's something going wrong around here.
2: You said something that that that's that sparked an idea. When you talk about how accomplished he is, and we're going to come back to that over and over, I know there's another word that, that comes to me as I look at, I'm sticking with the first four tracks off this record one more time, Sunday papers, really going out and happy loving couples. And the word that comes to me is confidence. This isn't polished to the point where it's like, Oh, well, he's just a master. And now he's deploying that, that opening riff that kicks off his whole career. One more time I made that sound that, that act. that's not some guitar virtuoso playing it Mm -hmm. to sound that way. He's feeling that and you get that thing right off. And then you get the next song. These aren't songs that feel like you're marking time until you get to the single. These are four songs that could have been singles. They are completely confident. This is what I want to say at this time about these things. And there are young men who, who know what they're doing but more importantly, that are proud of what they're doing and they want to put it in your face. For is she really going out with him? You want to see, and and they're all different varieties of of kinds of songs. When you come to is she really going out with him, he has the stones to stand up there and throw in a novelty touch. Look over there. Where? There. Right. I mean, who the hell is well, that? You also
1: get that in the nice little keyboard, like, you know, the chorus, you know, or like the intro, which sounds very early 60s. It sounds like a Phil mm-hmm. spector kind of a crystals approach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because it's that sort of song about like teenage, you know, loserdom, that's a perfect way to cast it. That, that sort of, that genre is the perfect setting for this sort of, you know, the, the sentiment of the lyric.
2: It's the mastery of the elements in order to express the creativity. He wouldn't, if he was just sitting there at the keyboard writing that, no one would put in, look over there, where? No one would do anything like that. But he's like, I know. What's possible? I know the I know the canon of popular music. I know what's going on. I know on the now, references I, I want to make, right? Yes. And I'm gonna do it this way. That to me is the thing that's so arresting about a guy like Joe Jackson and a guy like Warren Zevon and a guy like Todd Rundgren. I'm saying these artists who are masters of what they do, and then they say, Let me let me put it to work for me.
0: Scott? Pretty women out walking with gorillas down my street. I can remember the first time I heard. That lyric, and of course, being a uh, um, a college student, uh, single, nodding along, uh, in in complete agreement. Yes, that's exactly what's happening out there. Pretty women out walking with gorillas down my street. Uh, that's the first line of Is she really going out with him? A- and Jackson has said a number of times, and I think it's pretty pretty obvious. People misunderstand, uh, you know, the, the the anger, or they misunderstand what's really just funny. For, for being bitter or funny for being angry like happy loving couples is not an angry song he's not really bitter at friends for having a you know having girlfriends when when he doesn't it's just meant to be funny uh, happy loving couples and matching lamb turtleneck sweaters reading ideal homes magazine it's funny stuff it's great observational writing something that we'll come back to or at least I will are the number of just pristine little details that are picked up because um unlike elvis i i think jackson's lyrics are, are far more straightforward lyrically he's great with a turn of a phrase he's great with that with with finding those details but they're not necessarily uh, oblique you you can figure things out yeah. um, on on the surface
1: much less bitter, okay? So I remember talking about Elvis Costello and I said, you know, I turned away from him for a while after being an enormous fan just because it got to the point where the sort of like the relentless mm-hmm. anger and spike of all of his lyrics. There's just very few genuinely happy Elvis Costello songs. Whereas Joe Jackson is you know, for all of his prickliness and, and, you know, idiosyncrasy. He seems to be a much gentler disposition. In a way, kind of very different kind of music, but he reminds yeah. me in some ways of Neil Tennant of Pet Shop Boys. And um, uh, in, in that's sort of like sort of Quiet reflectiveness. There's Mm -hmm. a song on here called "Fools in Love." It's just a. I mean, first of all, musically, it's an amazing reggae thing. It it it, it's the most beautiful kind of reggae pastiche from this era because it's not just like a perfect execution of the beat and the feel and the vibe of a really good sweaty reggae song. It's set to a really brilliant melody as well, Mm -hmm. like a really snaky, crafty little melodic line that is not cheap or lazy in any way. And the tone of the song. was just so sentimental you know we're sitting there you know making fun of all these fools in love because of course who's the real fool in love it's me you know that that could be coming from a 1940s ballad or something like that and that reveals a streak that's going to emerge very strongly throughout Jackson's career and I guess characterizes the difference between him and say other writers like Lowe or Costello as a songwriter as a lyricist
3: Gently hold each other's hands forever Fools in love Gently tear each other limb from limb Everything you do, everywhere you Everything you touch, everything you feel Everything you do, even you rock and roll now Nothing mean a thing except you and your lady love Your lady love, your lady love, your lady love, your lady love. Fools in love, they think they're heroes Cause they get to feel more pain I said fools in love I should
0: know because this fool's in love again. Mike alluded to this. Jeff did too. They're all bangers, start to finish. The immediacy, Mm -hmm. the immediacy with which this album grabs you uh, is incredible. And it was apparent to me the first time that I listened to it. Start to finish. There's not... You could build albums around any one of these songs. (laughs) Uh, maybe, maybe. Sharp. the title track alone yeah. is just right. like ridiculous
1: little like <laughs> instrumental bits that are written into that piece that's the thing is like he doesn't just write for his melodies he writes for his band he writes to make sure that there are really interesting like instrumental interludes in all of the songs that he's doing which makes all of them so compact and so immediate they're, they're like little pop gems in fact it's power pop really in a way until he's, yeah. his musical style starts morphing into something different but it's got all that, that hit it just hits straight and fast
3: you say.
2: So mentioned- if there's a problem, is it's that it's 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 so rich that it didn't, it didn't at the time. I don't think I was about fifteen or sixteen. It didn't get appreciated. This is not another bit of fluff for the radio. This is not just well crafted pop music. This is genuinely smart, engaging stuff. That it's not that deep, but my goodness, when you're when you're a 16-year-old boy and the guy on the radio is pissed, it sounds like, about about how you can't get a date and all the all the pretty girls go out with some dork or some, well, I guess I would be the dork, but they go out (laughs) with some monster. You go, yeah, I think this guy may have more to say. And and there's there's a lot here. Every bit of it, as you say, is something to dig a little deeper on. And that's not the nature of disposable pop music, which is why we're talking about it here in 2023.
0: Very quickly. The last thing. Yeah. The band itself is so tight. Please. So Gary Sanford on guitar, uh, David mm-hmm. Houghton on drums, and Graham Maybe on bass. And Graham's the guy who will stick with Joe Jackson for his entire career. And we will say often, man, what a great bass line. That's a great bass sound. That's all Graham. For the entirety of Joe's career, and it's very obvious early on here. Something like baby stick around that that galloping, loping bass line. Uh, and the very last song. Um got the time. Yes, the that's where he's everywhere. Got the time, right? Where Graham maybe is everywhere from that intro, that bass intro, that blistering rhythm track, that that, that snaky guitar solo later on. And that, you know, it starts with such a, uh, it starts with such a bang as, as Mike pointed out with one more time, and it ends exactly the same way with Joe Jackson literally counting down to the explosion, right? One, two, three, go. Time. Got the time tick, tick, tick in my head. Someone who is so busy, you know, lyrically, someone so busy, doesn't have time to talk, doesn't have time to do anything, needs all the time to himself. boys is it a fantastic album closer? And Jeff, perhaps... Had exclusive content uh episode in our future uh, greatest songs with clocks ticking in them and got Ooh. the time would be on that list
1: First of all, we'd be remiss if we also didn't mention that the cover of this album is pretty legendary and also Joe Jackson doesn't like it. Right? <laughs> it doesn't have his face on it, which I think is funny <laughs> as heck. Because it, the, And yeah. the irony, of course, is that this cover is way better than the somewhat lame-looking album uh, <laughs> cover of the next one, but it doesn't matter because what would you think if we were to tell you that his follow-up... You know, you know who didn't really have the time ticking in his head? It, it was Joe Jackson, who was in such a rush... That mere three months after this record comes out, he puts out I'm the man. And then, folks, I think it's better. I think it's actually
2: uh, it better is. than his legendary
1: debut. It's got a really he looks just as ugly as Sin, like selling you fake Rolexes on the cover. It's kind of a funny image, but he really plays into the dorkiness. There is nothing awkward or ham-handed about this music at all. I mean, from on the radio, on your radio, it could be top five of my end of the end of the show. It's just such a wonderful little revenge song about, you know, oh, yeah, you didn't like me. You didn't you didn't love me you, when I was, you know, a nerd. But now you're never going to get near me. You're never going to come <laughs> close to me. The only thing you can ever do is hear me on your radio because I'm a star now. Really great little revenge thing. But the best part about it is the musical breakdowns within the song. I mean, that thing is not just dependent on its first or its chorus. It is dependent on the whole structure of the piece. It is a composed rock classic. And I, again, I never heard it until like a month ago. so much but i know scott has it on his wall it's so on my maybe wall. you should start,
0: <laughs> behind me it's behind me right now joe jackson lurks behind me um i have a very difficult time even being a huge fan sometimes at remembering which song is on which of these first two albums they are so yeah. married for a pair for sure they are so married in my mind and it goes not just to the style of course and the writing but also It began, I think, on your radio and the leadoff track from the last album, one more time. I connect very strongly in my head. Friday, very close to got the time and the energy it brings to uh, the end of the album. The ones that I know for sure are the ones that are a little more artistic and have a little bit more of that classicist in them. Amateur Hour and the Banmore Blue, sh- uh, blue sh- shirts; mm-hmm. those yeah. always put this put me in the "I'm the man" frame of mind. But songs like "Kind of Cute" could have been on the first album. I don't know. Kind of cute. So when I think of Geraldine it and Johnson
1: of the Reggae thing that could totally have been on the first yeah, record probably, too. Yeah,
0: yeah, But uh, so I mean, I think Dean and John. Geraldine and John. I loved I'm the man. That's what was first brought me to Joe Jackson, the artist. And I knew uh, it's different for girls. And I knew, is she really going out with him? I got to say, I think Geraldine and John might have been the time that that sold me on Jackson as an artist. It's a it's and and again, what makes him so good. Jeff knows this because we've done so many episodes. I am usually tepid at best. With some of these reggae excursions by the artists we cover, I, I, you know, the, the Clash did it pretty well, and uh, but I, usually, whatever, I leave them behind. Joe Jackson does Until it you so- you hear
1: XTC's reggae ver- uh, song, it's just unbelievably atrocious. It's called yeah. Melt the Guns, no less.
0: <laughs> Joe Jackson does it so effortlessly and so seamlessly that for years and years, i I, I did not even sort of connect that in my mind that, oh, he's doing ska or reggae. It was all brilliantly composed and arranged in a song. Something like Geraldine and John, which again has that sort of ska, reggae riff. And the story he tells here is so fascinating. It's just a great piece of storytelling. Geraldine and John, uh, they are married, but of course not to each other, right? Adultery, infidelity. The feeling's getting stronger. They can't go on much longer. Somewhere down the track, something has to crack. And again, those little details that he finds. I love that line where um, near the end where he said, uh, see the scar on his face from the day he met her brother. So they're having an affair. He meets her brother who doesn't like that fact. And he, you know, he whacks him. He punches him. He's got a scar on his face from the day he met his brother. I love that little detail that he works into a song like Geraldine and John. You know, I'm the man, and that, that rampaging, we talk more about that, but that, you know, that rampaging bass and drums and the, that, those lyrics are fantastic, but a song like Geraldine and John is what really sold me on Joe Jackson. <laughs> ¶¶
2: I was just going to say I want to roll back just a, just a moment because I have something to say about it on the on on your radio uh, when we're talking about "Got the Time," uh, which is a great song. I've thought, in fact, I wasn't sure until we were preparing for this. I've I've always halfway had it in my head that that "Got the Time" was a cover, <laughs> that it was some classic '60s R and B thing that had that he had just dug out. But no, he wrote something that sounded like it was fifty years old. That, that's that's amazing to me. I remember seeing. Um, I don't know why I remember. I remember seeing Steve Earle cover it on the Letterman show. And I thought, wow, what a great tune to pull out. And I I didn't connect it with Joe Jackson at the time. <laughs> and that I think is why I've always thought it's such a great song because it doesn't sound like it's in time. Um and and on the on, on your radio, uh I'm 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 broaching a subject that I know will come up today, and that is On Your Radio is a Ben Fold song for all intents and purposes. And it is, in fact, a particular Ben Fold song. It is the early draft and maybe the better draft of One Angry Dwarf uh, Mm -hmm. by Ben Fold. It's the same story. And (laughs) uh, and I don't know which one I like better, actually. I probably like On Your Radio better just because it's more raw. But anyway.
0: Let me go back to uh, I'm the Man uh, because, again, that's the song that initially brought me in. And I, 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 I think again—that's just a, 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 an example of him being brilliant at, at writing, composing. That just unbelievably hard-charging, rampaging, relentless rhythm and beat to the entire thing. The the lyrical conceit of of the power of media and the power of manipulation. I'm a man who gave you Kung Fu. That was one of my good ones. Skateboards, I've almost made them respectable. And if I can't always get hold of you, I can go through your son. A little bit of, uh, of, uh, of danger involved there, too. I love that line uh, right near the end after the solo, which is great. I think I'm gonna plan a new trend because the line on the graph's getting low and we can't have that. What else can we come up with to to sell you? which goes a bit with the cover, of course, the image on the cover. I'm the man is one of those songs that I think will live absolutely forever. It was not a big hit. It was not, you know, number one with a bullet on the charts or by any stretch of the imagination. But people connect with it viscerally because of the power both behind the track and the, and the power and the finesse behind the vocal delivery from Joe Jackson.
2: I think yep. you, make, you make a you make a point there that's worth that's worth doubling down on because I know my initial attraction to the song is is the pure commercial aspect and I hadn't thought about the words. It was a long time before I listened to the words It would just <laughs> grab onto "I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man." And then you listen to it, and it's like as you say, it's like, "Oh, this works at a whole different level." But I'll I'll bet ninety percent of the people who who like the song have never thought about what those words say because they just they just sail right past the song. The music is so strong.
1: Well, you know, another one that I bet you 90% of the people who like it haven't really figured out is It's Different for Girls. Um, oh. that, took me, that took me forever and a day to actually parse out because, you know, you listen to it the first time. This is the actually the lead single from the album. It's probably the one that most people know if they know and It, it apparently gets played every now and then on the radio. It's a beautiful song, very much in the style. It's not like a retread of uh, Is She Really Going Out? But it's just a beautifully melodic and well-written uh, guitar and piano-based ballad. Um, and it seems when you hear it, it's different from girls. You don't know who the speaker, or the narrator is until you go back and you examine the lyrics carefully. And you think it's like a, like a sort of a gentle thing about like, Oh, well, you know, please don't break my heart. You know, we're going to, you know, be intimate, but it's different from girls. It's actually the exact opposite of that. This is a song about Joe Jackson, like not wanting to do it unless it really means that we're in love. And the girls like, no, I just want to have a physical <laughs> relationship. I don't want to talk about love. Let's just get horizontal. And it's this very beautiful song that conveys a very strange and sort of not expected sentiment. And it took me forever and a day to parse it out. So uh, that is a real landmark for him in terms of like a subtle lyric that probably goes over the head of most people that
3: listen to it. I know.
2: Just this, this dismissive, you're all the same. You can just, you can see, I can, I can see sitting at that table with that woman and she goes through this and she goes, you're all the same. And it's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what do you mean we're all the same? It flips it completely. And there's a delight, an absolute delight when this song, especially if nobody's told you and you just come across it, you go, what is going on here? It's delightful when you discover what this song is really about
1: exactly this i mean again the album is is in my opinion the complete equal if not maybe slightly superior to look sharp but there are so many little great songs. i mean kind of cute it's one that scott mentioned that i really love but boy nobody's talked about don't want to be like that which i think is maybe very close to the best song on the record and it's even better when they play it at live there's a live version on that live eighty eighty six right one that just absolutely cooks but it's a pretty much about joe jackson saying look i went out to la everyone was doing cocaine and you know lying out on the beach and being lazy and uh i'm here i'm back i don't want to do that <laughs> i'm not going to be like that that is not my scene that i am not a member of the jet set it's the song you'd write later on i don't want to have anything to do with it let's get back to work uh, very joe jackson like sentiment and this song itself just has a monster of a chorus and a monster of an arrangement the full band absolutely cooks on it again you yeah, we could have done this kind of music forever but this is in fact you know from from this point onwards he's he's just going to keep changing he doesn't really repeat himself mm-hmm. like two albums in a row from this point onwards
3: some people think that they know about some girls or well, some people
0: talked about oh friday so i uh, piggybacking on mike's point which was actually piggybacking at a jeff point with the ben folds five comparison i mean friday is a ben folds five song in everything but but name you know the, the prominent bass the, the random profanity thrown in for no particular reason <laughs> yeah. uh the, the countdown of the days of the week that is something ben folds would do you know monday tuesday wednesday thursday and you get to friday right She don't care uh she gets paid on friday
3: monday morning friday's are- Pray you'll make it, it's a magic day. Bells will ring and you'll go out to play. Spend your money, pass the bottle, Friday. Ooh.
0: And it's so funny
1: when we did our Ben Folds episode, like I was telling you this, like I immediately noticed it oh he sounds a little keyboard like by Hornsby, but I didn't know anything about Joe Jackson at that time. And if I had it would have been the most obvious connection in the world How heavily influenced he is In fact to the point where he actually brings in Joe Jackson to sing on what, Was a Common People by Bill Shatner On that Has Been album He brings Joe Jackson in to do the duet there And so like obviously that influence Was just so clear And it's only come into focus for me Again with this show
3: Like a dog lying in a corner They'll bite you and never warn you Look out They'll tear your insides out because everybody hates a tourist. Everybody hates a tourist, especially one who thinks it's all such a lie. Yeah, and the chip stained grease will come out in the back, You will never you will understand, never understand how, it how it feels to live your life, life without no with no meaning, or control, or control and, and with nowhere, nowhere left, left to, go, to go. You're amazed, you're amazed that they, they exist, exist and they burn, and they so, burn bright so bright, but you can only wonder why. What's a shop? Cut, Cut your hair get a, get a job. job. Smoke some, some fags, and some pool. Pretend you never, you'll never went to school. school. But still you gotta get, get it, it right. Because when you've laid in bed at night, night, watching roaches climb the wall, if you called your dad, he could stop it all. Yeah. You'll never live like common people. You'll never do, you'll what, do what common people do. You'll never like fail like common I want there's nothing nothing
2: else else to, to do. Do. I say a thing about Ben Folds here that uh, I'm, I'm interested to get uh, your guys' take on it. I was thinking about this this morning. I've got a cold, that's why my voice is so. I was driving back from the doctor. I was thinking about this conversation and thinking about Ben Folds and and one of the one of the points of discussion that the three of us have had is that there is a stretch where Joe Jackson himself said, you know, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of stuff. I'm really proud of in in that one period of time uh, after the big success. Um, And, and, and it's true. There's a lot of stuff there. That's not worth coming back to twice, but I was thinking about Ben folds and Ben folds. Hasn't put out nearly as many records as Joe Jackson has. And here's the controversial idea. Um, I can't think of any Ben folds track off of those eight or nine records, whatever they are, that I wouldn't go, yeah, that's worth hearing again. Ben Foles was uh, more selective Mm -hmm. about what he put out there. And as a result, you have this exceptionally rich catalog of stuff with no, basically no filler in it. And you can't say that about anybody else I can even think of. Any Mm -hmm. thoughts on that, guys?
1: Well, yeah, he we had the smart idea to fold it up basically after Reinhold Messner and just do like, you know, sort of weird solo stuff. At that point, I think that was the smart move to do. I mean, Jackson just had a different career trajectory because the 70s and the 80s were the point where he was setting the example that uh, the guy who was influenced by him obviously was going to sort of learn from. Uh, yeah. And this actually, by the way, you know, speaking about the diversity, you know, of these, you know, and, and the way you know, the sound, uh, Jackson's sound evolves it really does bring us i think to this third album that i i know scott has already tipped to me that he thinks is a big disappointment in jackson's discography and listen i'm not going to say it. battleground is my favorite song of all time friends <laughs> but uh, i really like beat crazy quite a bit beat crazy is a bit of an experiment it's much it's it's very very rhythmic and reggae and ska influence but uh I mean, yes, some of the songs are too long, but there's just so much great music on this record. And again, to me, if this is the beginning of his quote-unquote genre experiments, I don't think it is. I think it's still somewhat in keeping with his earlier yeah, sound. Yeah, uh, it's a it, it's a pretty dang fine record. Now,
0: Scott, do you want to explain to me why you don't like it nearly as much? I can try. I, I look, uh, there are a handful of songs I think are, are good, and we'll talk about them in, in a minute. I, I I think it is pushing. Uh, so that ska reggae up front to a point where it ceases to, as I just talked about, sort of seamlessly work into these these songs that he's written. They, they, in a way, the the style uh, takes over the, the substance in a lot of places, I think, on this record. Something like In Every Home, um, a yeah, battleground for that <laughs> to that point. Um there there are places where i i i think he's trying not to do a third record in a row that sounds exactly the same and in trying to do so sort of stumbles through a few places genre-wise that sounds more um it sounds more messy than it does as fully cooked as the songs on the first records do um
1: that's i'll grant grant you that there's a little bit of of looseness and hairiness here there's some like actual what you would characterize as art rock experiments and unfortunately they're failed art rock experiments like Battleground, the song I yeah. already mentioned, it, we will not be excerpting a clip of this song no, friends, no, because no. It, it, it drops the N-word uh, prodigiously
0: uh, and in uh, sort think of, 40, I suppose. 42 times, by the way. 42,
1: 42 times you counted. My lord. Oh, gosh. So, like, yes. And it, it I suppose, <laughs> was well-intentioned. Uh, it's not in a racist way, but it's in a way that, listen – if i had heard this in you know 1999 i would have said even then no thank you it's also a pretty dissonant background musical track anyway mm-hmm. so it just doesn't really add much and then the other one is mad at you it kind of bothers me because i like the first part of that song a lot and then it just goes on for 3 minutes longer with no reason to be there <laughs> You know, you underrate songs like "One to One." I think it's that's a good song. Yes, it
0: is it's a beautiful yes.
1: piano pop song. And say same, same thing about "The Evil Eye," which is much more like you. There's a lot of these good up-tempo ones. "Evil Eye," "Biology" is a pretty great little experiment too. That one's got a. I think you probably don't like the way that the melody there is, is hacked out. Some of the problems with this production is that the way Jackson sings, it doesn't really sell the quality of some of these melodies as well as they otherwise could be. Because biology has a really great and really weird and off-kilter melody, but I'm not sure on a performance level it comes across. But then there's stuff like Pretty Boys, which is uh, – it's not reggae. It's something more like a ska or a dancehall thing. Yeah. It's based around a melodica. It's a lovely and, and somewhat, you know, it's an instrument that basically you only hear in like authentic reggae recordings, but I love the sound of it. Um, and uh, that's a very beautiful song that also kind of, again, makes pretty clear where, where Joe Jackson is, you know, in terms of
3: his personal life. On TV street, so wide and so clean. Revive! sing up the guitars, pretty much get to be the star.
1: And then the last one is Fit. That's a great album closer. I think that that's a fine way to end. A nice, longer, slower song. And I wonder if it's just the fact that there are two pretty big blemishes in the middle of this album that harm it. I'll also note that it's uh, exactly uh, seven minutes longer than his other two albums, which means he could have probably just cut mm-hmm. those tracks.
0: By the way, you know who else plays a melodica? Who? Ben Folds. Stephen's Last Night in Town from Whenever and uh, Whatever and Ever, Amen. I'd forgotten how appropriate, right? There you Um, go. Title track, Beat Crazy. Good song. One that's grown on me over the years, in fact, Uh, which does kind of sound like those clash experiments into uh, the reggae ska world. Uh, Magnificent Seven kind (laughs) of thingy. absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. and I love that surf guitar noodling that sort of uh, stays behind the beat throughout the entire uh, track. So Beat Crazy is one that I like a lot. (laughs) I'm not the one One to one, which yes, I think is a very good song. The other one I, I, I'll, I'll talk about is um, is the very last track because there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff happening with fit. Fits la- I think it's fits the last track. My notes are correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and I think you can read a lot into what's going on in fit. I mean, clearly, lyrically, uh, musically, I think it's really sharp. I think it's one of the sharpest you know compositions on the record. And it's one where you begin to get this, I think there is some internal, uh, some some looking inside, because the the lyrics of Fit, I mean, they they would fit, no pun intended, today very well. Uh, They talk about transgender, multiracial issues. Uh, Don't laugh, he says, but there are people in this world born as boys and fighting to be girls. And, And the second verse is about uh, you know, people whose uh, that's like black skin is, is is lighter than others, something along those lines. And I think, in a way, he's previewing what's going to happen next because Joe Jackson, in many ways, doesn't fit musically in a simple little box. Uh, you you can't paint him just among the angry young men of the late seventies pub rock movement. Uh, you know, he's going to do jump and jive next. He, you know, night and day is down the road he's been classically trained, he can play all these different instruments. And there's no way he can see himself being locked in to this little piece of the music business from here into eternity. And so as much as he's talking outwardly about those examples he uses and fit, I think it's very pensive. And it's very inward looking too. that, you know, he's, he, he's not going to fit either. And, and it, it always going to be breaking down something else to get somewhere else in the evolution of his music.
3: There are people in this town. People like, say you're white shade.
2: has really made me want to come back to this record because this is one that I tend to, to slip past and, and to hear you talk about it and, and to sit here and think about what I know about it. It's like, I think I've missed something. Um, but you said something, Scott, about uh, about fit. And, and I believe that uh, the sort of chameleon nature of this guy comes out if you set fit against one-to-one because you look at the lyrics of one-to-one and it was right off the bat. tried to call you yesterday you were at the Monday Club which was a a, a British uh, organization I understand on the on the on the pretty far out on the right or a communist demonstration. that song is just this as you may know. this song is just I don't want to hear about your politics. I want to know who you are. And I, that's how I feel about so many things, and it's echoed nicely here because you know this isn't going to work with this girl he's talking to. She's going to the Monday Club, or she's going to a communist thing, and then there's the funny vegetarians against the Klan in here. Uh, it, 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 and and to compare that to to fit, which is a, a little bit more, I don't know, I'm going to say strident though. Feel free to disagree. This tells me where his heart is, and I like this song. This is the song I come back to one to one.
3: Vegetarian. Stand yeah.
0: Jeff, I want to I w- I ask you this here before we move on, because it's a good, okay. good little break point. You had said a few times, I think on X or, or via our email chain, that the only thing you knew about Joe Jackson were the two, I think you, you, you classified as the two hit singles, something like that. And I'm curious as to what you think are the two hit singles or what you qualify, because going, by, going simply by chart success... Your two answers are are "step it out" and you can't get what you want because those are the highest charting singles in his career. But I, I I think maybe one of those two you mean, that. but it could have been different for girls. It could have been is, is, she, is she, she really going, going out, out with or, him? Is the other one? But not on the map, yeah, which I think again could is that's the song that that brought me in. So your two that you uh-huh. you you knew ahead of time were is she really going out with him and step it out right?
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, those okay. those two, and, and, and only those two. And I'll tell you, you know, what I didn't also know about was that this guy then, after Beat Crazy, goes and records, like, secretly one of the most miraculous left turns <laughs> of the era. This uh, next thing is called Jump and Jive, and I don't know whether you guys like this album or not, but I have to say it is maybe the biggest and greatest surprise of the entire episode for me. I have been writing to this music for the past couple of weeks. I literally, when I put this thing on uh, it gets me energized it gets me focused. Oh, I gotta get this out before the album's finished. Oh yeah it will Jack, you're dead unless you get, your, if you get your piece filed. That kind of motivation and we're talking about an album composed entirely of 1920s swing and jazz club standards. Mm-hmm. None of them written by Joe Jackson. All of them taken from the songbooks of great big band artists like Duke Ellington recorded with a band of crack studio pros, not his original touring act. This thing. Is Elvis Costello's Almost Blue, if Elvis Costello's Almost Blue was almost a masterpiece. All right. Because I love it. It's like very close to like Willie Nelson's Stardust and like how does this work so well? I love this record. I'm going to tell you a story from way back. Truck
3: on down to Digger Jack. This big mo. Do no, you little mo? Do no, you my, four mo? Do no, you not, no mo? When they start to beat it out, everybody jump and shout. Tell me who do the critics rave about? Five guys named Mo. They came out of nowhere, but that don't mean a thing. They rate high, you know why? When you hear them swing, highbrow, lowbrow, all agree they're the best in harmony. I'm telling you folks, you just gotta see
4: five guys named Mo.
3: I can't I can't
1: recommend it as like the original Joe Jackson, like writing voice, but
0: right. it is just a giant pile of fun. I want to make another comparison because that, uh, you made a, a few good ones there. But as I was listening and, and thinking about this, the comparison I make with Joe Jackson's Jump and Jive is with uh, the Blues Brothers and in, in Briefcase Full of Blues, meaning
4: it, yeah, it, is, it, is a, that. it
0: is a genre genre exercise played by someone or some ones in the Blues brothers case right that clearly enjoys loves deeply appreciates this music and not played by you know a couple guys down the street played by some of the best to ever play that kind of music Joe Jackson put together a crack band Graham maybe is, is here as a bass player but uh uh Larry tollfree well, he plays. by the way
1: works totally Graham maybe transitions to this yeah. music like how does that possible? He's just like I guess Mighty P probably had conservatory chops too. I'd have to go look it up. But yeah, it's not easy transition for him. He sounds like he could be playing string
3: bass half the time. Living. And the time is right. Living. And tonight, tonight. be with me side. put a ride on the lehigh then you can really get by oh my the
0: Larry Tolfrey plays drums here uh, he's a big buddy rich guy he plays that kind of music and of course the blues brothers band are all the old stacks guys Steve Cropper and Duck Dawn and guys like that and so you have some of the absolute pros playing the absolute crap out of these songs and briefcase full of blues is an album that i just i, I put on all the time as just said he put it on when he writes i put on briefcase full of blues like when i'm putting up christmas lights or whatever kind of thing i gotta get done in the kitchen that's a go-to album for me because it is 35 40 minutes of non-stop bangers and totally fun and that's jump and jive i don't know how you can listen and not enjoy the music that he has selected and, and then plays and you know uh, vocally, he inhabits these songs Like Five Guys well, Named performances Mo.
1: are so authentic yeah. The humor, like Jack You're Dead That is a song that requires Real, like, theatrical wit To pull off It's a song about, like, listen, you gotta be careful now You're gonna get older, you're gonna get slower And before you know it, the way you're living your life, buddy You're dead And it's just so funny and relentless And it ends with, the like, you know, and then you know When you see them, you'll have your corpse laid out And they'll say, boy, he looks almost lifelike And that's when you'll know Jack, you're dead. Boom. <laughs> he's just really just snappy punchlines in the vocal delivery. I never thought until this album, because I'm I'm learning about this in sequence, right? Never really thought of Jackson as being a very good singer, a vocalist. But here he re- he reveals he's got actual stylistic chops in interpreting this music. It all sounds just like doesn't sound again when elvis costello did almost blue he just sounds like elvis costello singing you know some country and blue songs a little bit awkwardly you know with sincere feeling but it, it doesn't because you know the attractions that they're playing this sounds like joe jackson could have done this for a living back in 1925
3: when you just ain't got nobody since you kind of lost your head is setting that Jack, you dead. What's the use of having muscles if your life hangs by a thread? You ain't got no red coat muscles. Jack, you dead. You've been always kicking, but you stubbed your toes. When you ups and kicks the bucket, just like old man Moe. When you get no kicks from loving and the news begin to spread, all the cats will holler murder. Jack, you dead. All the breath is leaked out of you. Make your friends gather around the bed and look at you and say, mm-mm mm, mm, mm do not he look natural. When that happens to you, Daddy, Jack, you dead.
2: You know, it you 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 uh I think the notable thing about this record, besides its obvious qualities, is that this is a showcase for his ability to arrange. His ability to conduct that band and run that band, and and his ability to sing, which is entirely different from from what he what he does as a songwriter. I, I think of this record uh, a, again, uh, agreeing with what you've said about how good it is. For me, this is like finding out somebody I know reads Latin really well. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, great analogy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's a like, random esoteric skill that seems unrelated. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah, I, oh, I, you I don't speak man. Do How nice for you. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I don't want to watch you do it. I don't need you to do it. But the fact that you can tells me there's another layer going on. And I like that. And so to me, it, it, and there are other things in this catalog like this, as 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 we all know. Classical but stuff. But to me, it's
1: like that, yeah.
2: That's the stuff. And so I don't come back to this one too much, but I agree with everything you said. And you're making me hungry to just set aside more time. To play through this catalog from beginning <laughs> to end and reappreciate what I may have forgotten. Jim, jam,
3: jump is a jump jive. Makes you dig your jive on the mellow side. Hef, hef. Hef, hef. Jim, jam, jump is a solid job. Makes you nine foot tall when you're four foot five. Hef, hef. Hef, hef. Now don't you be that ickaroo. Get help, come on and follow through. Just at food, you make the jump, jump like theigators do. Jim, jump, 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 is a jumpin' jive. Makes you like your eggs on the Jersey side. Hep, hep. Hep, hep, hep. Hep. the Jim, jump, jumpin' jive makes you hip, hip on the mellow side. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's the fun thing for me about coming to it fresh, is I'm as surprised as anybody. I mean, I mean Scott tipped me, he's like, Oh, this one's a little bit of left turn. You know, and I cue them all up on a playlist, and all of a sudden this jump swing music starts playing. And I'm like, What the heck is this? Did I, did I actually <laughs> go on to like some other artist? No, this is just Joe Jackson. And it, for some reason it's just like a breath of fresh air. Especially coming after Be Crazy, that was the way Scott described it to me. It's like it's just bounce back. You know, it's just like ooh, you got a lot more oomph there. You know, you seem mm-hmm. to know what you want to do. And I guess that's a great it, it very much carries us into his next original album, which as I think a lot of people say is his most famous and accomplished one, which is Night and Day. But uh before we get there, Scott, is there anything you want to say or do you want to cue up, you know, like the big one for us? Whoa.
0: yeah let's go forward to uh to, to night and day this is now 1982 82. and it's it's the same year as elvis costello's imperial bedroom that uh and the marketing campaign between uh, or behind imperial bedroom just had a picture of elvis and you know, when it said masterpiece question mark and then showed you the cover of imperial bedroom and imperial bedroom is a great album it, it didn't sell much of anything at all, despite the pedigree and sort of the, the jump in in songwriting for Elvis Costello. Night and Day is different. Night and Day is uh, an incredibly successful record for Joe Jackson. And again, one in which he tries, I would argue, t- to make that songwriting leap. I don't want to say to be taken seriously, because I don't know how important that sort of thing is. He is for Joe Jackson. He's aiming
1: for a sophistication that's yes. on the level of like you know the Cole Porters of the world, yes. the guys you know the the great the great jazzy like balladeers of the of the the older era. Of course, you know I mean you could tell from the cover that line drawing that looks like it comes from the New Yorker and it's New York City and the you know, on the skyline there and he's sitting at the piano with his pen trying to write like he could be like a like a Brill Bill or a Tin Pan Alley writer. It's it's obviously playing to that sort of classical aesthetic. And uh, I think it, well, I think it's pretty damn successful myself. Yeah, what you
0: saying? There, there's a uh, the Elvis Costello record from a couple of years ago, and of course I'm going to forget the name of it because I need it at this point. But it was uh, described as uptown pop, and that's the same sort of place that Night and Day lives. Uh, ostensibly, there's uh, the, you know there's a journey from night to day on side one into side two. I don't know if it really holds up that well, but it is. Um, about New York City, right? It is about the glamour, the glitz, what's possible. He moved to New York City around this time, and in reading some interviews, he said that New York just suited him so much better. He loved being in New York. And a lot of night and day is like a celebration of the possibilities of being in a city like New York. And of course, um, this features perhaps his best-known song, Step It Out, which would go to, I think, number six on the chart, something along those lines. Uh, But almost perversely, it was not the first or even the second single from this record. Um, Real Men was the first single from this album. And it is, um, it did not do very well. And in part because, you know, lyrically it is about, something completely different than what something like stepping out was about. I mean, real man says, you know, what's a man now? What's a man mean? Is he rough? Is he rugged? Is he cultural or clean? There's a there's an uh, um, an, an F bomb in there, if I'm not mistaken, and not the four letter word, but the longer word. Uh, w- w- you might use when talking about, what, you know, if it's a man, rough and rugged, cultural, clean, and sort of that, that blurred Listen, I mean, line. it was a
1: bunch of coded references to homosexuality yeah. aren't going to get up on the charts in 1982. It was America in 1982. Right. And unless you're the village people, I guess the village people <laughs> were able to pull it off. But Joe Jackson wasn't doing it with that song. That song's way too direct about it. It's a really beautiful song.
3: Time to get scared. Time to change plans. To admit what you call defeat Cause there's women running past you now And you just drag your feet Man makes a gun Man goes to war Man can kill and man can drink And man can take a whore. Kill all the blacks Kill all the reds And if there's war between the sexes Then there'll be no people left
1: so it goes, go round again. But now and then we wonder who the real man Whoa, So good. It is. It was so eloquent yeah. on the nose. But yeah, he's just, you know, box office
0: poison. It was not going to succeed. It was not. But the follow up did. And the follow up wasn't stepping out, but it was a great song called Breaking Break Us one. In Two. And before mm-hmm. I pass it on to you guys, I, I need to to ruin something for you because I, I, I told this to Jeff, I think, at our 1979 episode. No, it wouldn't have been because uh, uh, it was our 82 episode. Anyway, we were talking about this song and I said, I didn't realize this until recently, but now I can't listen to that song without hearing it in my head. Joe Jackson accidentally, purposefully borrowed that melody from day after day by Badfinger. I remember <laughs> finding out about you. You can sing that right. right along to Breaking Us In Two. And if you're like me, you'll Absolutely. do that from now until the end of time now.
3: Don't you feel like trying something new? Don't you feel like breaking out? Something
1: another one later on we're going to Damn get to you. That, that, that feels like it was stolen from something that's just been haunting me ever since I learned it. So when we get there, I'll, I'll bring it up. But, yeah, you're right about breaking us in two. It's a beautiful song. Um, but before I continue on, Mike, what do you want to say? What are your thoughts on this
2: album? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you a little bit if I've interpreted what you said correctly. I don't see this as his big shot at trying to be Cole Porter or Gershwin. There are some of his best songs on here, but only a couple. Uh, and the reason I can't see this as an attempt to to go all Brill Building, which, by the way, I was just in New York. I love walking past the Brill Building. Still right there. You can walk past it. So much fun. Uh, talk about how much wonderful
1: music was composed in that thing. Wow.
2: I, just I sometimes out. stop and take a photograph of it. That is what a nerd I am for this stuff. <laughs> uh, it's, I believe it's right, it's right next to the, uh, there's a theater next. Anyway. Uh, and the reason I say this can't be the Gershwin record is because of these songs, Cancer, chinatown another world those those aren't those aren't songs those are synth poppy, synth musical synth- exercises yeah, yeah. Oh, so, that's so such I, a great I don't see that i
0: i, I, have I to like them a- you're, you're making a great point and i don't want to let it let it slip by musical exercises i love that uh, because so another world which is the first song on this record I, I really like another world and i'm listening back this time and i'm trying to figure out okay how am i going to explain why i like another world it's it, it has this great groove, this great rhythm. It's a lot of fun. You know, stepped into, stepped into another world. And I'm thinking, okay, I know. I know how I want to describe it. So we did our Rolling Stones episode, Jeff, and I would describe some of these Rolling Stone songs as like half songs, like Slave or hot stuff or even like dance dance part one from uh and then they just become demonstrations of shops and it's just getting into and locking into this impeccable groove
1: For me. That's absolutely okay. that that salsa that's, calypso whatever that, that piano thing with a I mean that that's, that's yeah.
0: and that show offy stuff it's amazing and that's another world for me. that is why I love that song so much It reminds me of those stones workouts where you just develop mm-hmm. as, as Mike said this musical exercise you develop this figure you develop this rhythm and then you you go with it for four and a half for five minutes and I, I just love that about another world and you do about cancer.
2: Well, I, I, I want to. Oh, don't let me cut you off. Don't let me cut you off. No, no, no. Go, no go, please, go
0: please, come on. Go, go, Mike. Please, you. Uh, this is this is because
2: I'm going to talk for a moment. So uh, <laughs> this, uh, this, and you Jeez. knew I was going to say this. You knew I was going to say this. Uh, is this? I I have a few things to say about stepping out. This is this is my number one. This is the best thing he ever did. That's not to say the other stuff isn't great, but this one works. But it's not the version on this record. Uh, he recorded this, uh, he's recorded it so many different arrangements, but on the album Afterlife, which comes considerably after this, what about, about 20 years after, I think, there's a live version, and it's much slower. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, I'm still fighting this cold, and it just kills me, guys, it just kills me, because this re- this version, it's 1980, and everything's in neon, uh, 1983, whenever it was. But when he plays and he slows it's it, it's set to a
1: synth pop beat. And that's the thing. Yes. It's such a metrically regular beat. And that live version is not regular yes. at all. That's what makes it's it so interesting.
2: And you hear these lyrics, and it's about this couple, and it just breaks your heart. It's so sweet and so gentle. And the 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 words are different at that point. They mean something different. The mist across the window hides the light, but nothing hides the color of the lights that shine. Look dry your eyes. He's taking her out. It's so beautiful. They are going out. And whatever garbage has gone on before, it's clear for a little while in the shining lights of the city. It's so beautiful. I love this song. It just chokes me up to hear it.
3: I'd shine he lectures of me so far.
1: asked me to play stepping out uh for the last two days before she herself steps out to go to the office she's like yeah it gives me a spring in my step it's optimism right and there is something to be said about that i gave a little thought to the whole night and day concept does it hang together you know it does hang together as long as you understand the day side doesn't actually mean like you know at you know daytime like the afternoon it means like 3 a.m or 4 a.m when the last song is played at the disco and you know and the lights are coming up and in that sense Like, you know, I think it actually does work as a night out and a late night of, uh, you know, romantic entanglements or, or, you know, or agonies. And I guess that that kind of does bring me to the last song on the record, which is. Just gotta be for me. Stepping out will never not be a classic. I love that song. I love Chinatown so much. I even like the one that's the weird Talking Heads rip-off. Was it TV yes, Age? It TV sounds- age, It's
0: totally Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it works. It works really well. um But
1: my God, a slow song, which is the last song on this record, is just the ultimate torch song ballad uh, that Joe Jackson would ever write. And the performance here on this record is. Perfect. The lyric uh, is just so wonderful. You know, it's like, you know, when you're in a loud bar and you're trying to have an emotional moment with this person or try to connect with them on some level, uh, but you can't because all they're doing is playing stupid, loud, thumping techno dance music. <laughs> and you just say, please, for once, before we go, can we play me a slow song? So he says, like, I'm brutalized by bass. I'm terrorized by treble. Uh, And so I get tired of DJs. Why is it always what he plays? I'm going to push right through. I'm going to tell him to play us a slow song and these glorious, majestic chords coming behind him. It is a genuinely – it is a stab at genuine grandness. And if you don't have a song to match the mood, it always is an embarrassing face plant this one is a perfect match i've read some criticism that said well the only reason the song really exists is for that melody the lyric isn't that interesting first of all no the lyric is rather interesting but second of all even if it weren't this is some of the most beautiful music that joe jackson wrote in his entire career and it's just a perfect capstone
3: to the record But I'm brutal, I- i
0: to take just a moment before we move on to actually defend the album not that it needs defending i guess but to 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 talk about and defend the album version of step it out which defense needed my friend I i mean mike mike was referring to a different live version and i i think there's not a thing wrong with the this album version it is one of my favorite pop songs period ever it never ceases to move me in very real ways. And I think part of that is because it it did exist so long beneath the surface. It wasn't a song that I sought out because as I said earlier, I didn't know who sang it and I didn't, didn't know the name. So when it would come on the radio, it was a surprise. Like, oh, it's a song that I love, that I don't know, that I don't have on cassette, I, I, I don't know. And, you know, as I listened to it over the years, even after finding out, where you know, how to find it and, and what it is, there is just something so sure about this song. It is it is pure classic pop with just a million different piano hooks all the way around. The way the piano jumps octaves in different places uh, in the song, it has that metronomic pulse to it. And it, this is a song oh, yes. actually in the studio that was put together... Uh, exclusively by joe jackson he played everything except for i think one little part of it uh so it was pieced together the demo version is
1: available on the reissue of the album it sounds exactly like the album version except for one keyboard basically that's it
0: and but that uh, that melody uh that vocal line and the way that he arranges everything never ever ceases to lift me to transport me to a different place which is a lot of what I think night and day is meant to do to take you to this 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 shining city of new york and open up the door to possibilities and as mike said forget about what happened earlier in the day or the fight or the tears we're stepping out into the light what's possible uh it speaks to me very clearly uh about the power of of melody the power of music and the beauty that really exists in songs like this i i just love this song so much A
3: young, but getting old before I time. We'll leave the TV.
0: with Mike before the show and Jeff a few weeks ago. Uh, Joe Jackson was on uh, Saturday Night Live in season seven uh, when this was released, Night and Day was released, and he plays a live version of Step It Out, and he plays it with actual human beings playing all those parts that he had done, you know, electronically or had, had done himself in the studio. And Graham maybe plays one of the most incredible bass lines I've, I, I've ever seen. This is, you know, it was done by a machine and he takes it and he plays his bass live in, in uh, uh, just metronomically unbelievable. It's a great performance. And now I go That's back like,
2: and watch. Drew me, drew me, drew me. Oh, it's yeah, crazy. Is that
0: yeah. yeah. And I go back. It's the and only song. Oh,
2: go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm done. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's the only song I know. And I, I agree with everything you said, but I, it's not to say that this isn't, this is a bad version. I love this version too. The other one just moves me so. And this is the only song I can name. Maybe if I sat and thought for a while, I'd come up with another. I can't think of another song that is so different when it's slowed down. It's not yes. just, oh, that's another phase to it. Oh, that's a whole different. It's a whole different feeling. It's a whole different vibe. And then one other little musical aside here is that who the hell thinks to bring in the bells? What what's going on with that? It's so <laughs> smart. Even those those
1: celests, you yeah, it's so tingling. perfect. Yes.
2: yes, yes, it's perfect. It's exactly the song doesn't even quite musically. It doesn't quite work without the bells mm-hmm. at that at yeah. that tempo. But he puts that in there. And I thought about that when you sent me the video of that uh, that SNL thing. It's like, oh yeah, that's 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 not just the cherry on top. That's yeah. It's the whole top. That's a big thing. It's a
1: little xylophone like instrument that they play to get that sound. I don't like know if it's Glockenspiel, a Glockenspiel, I think. A, Glock, a Glockenspiel or Celeste. It's one of the, yeah. uh, some, or, you know, it's hard to tell exactly from the tuning, but yeah, it's a. A wonderful little touch that gives it that sort of that urban class if you feel like you're wearing a nice suit when you're stepping out and you're going to get into well maybe it's a cab but you're going to go to a nice club and you know it's not the sea life right you know you're having a nice urban you're gonna have a nice dinner with some lobster or something like that that's a great (laughs) song for that purpose alone i mean listen the thing to me that's like strangest about Night and Day is that uh, there are songs on here that I just I don't think are actually all that great. I don't think Target really is that good of a song. It just sort of sits there, but it's it's very brief. It doesn't waste its time. And as it turns out, he had basically like an entire half an album's worth of other just as good songs so i talk about how joe jackson periodically is shocking the heck out of me on this show this mike's murder thing scott you just mentioned it as like an afterthought oh yeah he put out some out of songs for like a film soundtrack the film never took off yeah. most people forgotten about it those six songs are like almost like six of the best things he's ever done am i the only person who listens to a song like cosmopolitan or like that one two three was it the town's fairground or Memphis. These are all fantastically well written and well recorded pop songs. And in fact, the thing that makes it more striking is that maybe they're not on the album because they're a little bit less experimental. They aren't going mm-hmm. for this sort of, you know, that that ambitious, you know, you know, Gershwin like yes. kind of night and day mood. Yes. But my gosh, this is just some of his best work. And I don't think anybody has heard this stuff. Very. Few. I mean, even I mean, people yeah. who are fans of his. I, I, of course, I just found about all of this for the first time. But I wonder if the fans know about the Mike's Murder soundtrack. It's streaming. <laughs>
0: you can find it. Finding an actual hard copy uh, is very, very difficult. You like these songs. I mean, if I liked them, I would have made a bigger deal about them in the email. So you definitely like them more than I do. There's nothing wrong with them. I do think that they are a little more... Um, they're a little more demo-ish than what ended up on Night and Day, so um, sound
1: like really good synth pop to me, man. This is a genre that I am
0: known to be fond of, so I, like, mean, I I love them. Memphis is very familiar to me. I feel like I've I've heard that a number of times. It was a single, and it sort of marries this uh, "Give Me Some Lovin'" s- synth riff with uh, with oh with, totally with, it totally steals right, the riff with and like "Give a, Me Some love uh, yeah uh, shamelessly like a Peter Gunn you know bass line. Uh, so it's very it's very well structured.
1: cosmopolitan like that really was all right smooth, i don't i don't think i don't
0: think i think it's bad i mean i i don't um but I, very few people i think at the end have actually heard the, these songs these for various things,
1: Listen, it's, like, it's the most secretly underrated part of his career now i don't know if michael agrees with me i'm the guy who's the noob after all so perhaps i'm just a fool but i was surprised to find that this was like a completely forgotten thing when it doesn't deserve to be at
2: all cosmopolitan is in my top 10 joe jackson songs I I uh, I love this record. I love this record, and I do come back to it fairly often. And I have nothing to add beside. It's fun to hear somebody talk about it who's just come to it recently <laughs> because it reminds me of just how it feels to discover great music.
1: about this and i really like it is that i'm not a huge fan of his next album oh. this is actually the first yeah i know i know See, i'm soul. wrong about i'm good?
0: wrong about mike's murder and you're wrong about body and soul it's okay
1: body ah, and soul ah, i'm gonna say ah, this this is a, this is up there with look sharp <laughs> as one of his best album covers i can't tell you which album it's a parody of but i just know it's, from looking at it that red Tinch cover it's a blue note records thing sonny right? Rollins Clearly, volume the sac- two Sonny Rollins, there you go. Okay, I knew it was saxophone and everything. And I actually thought to myself, Joe Jackson plays saxophone. Apparently, he does, and he I didn't does. know it. Yep. So I thought I thought it was just like a pose, like the way like Billy Joel is posing for some reason with a saxophone on Fifty Second Street, even though he, he doesn't play. <laughs> Remember that? I was like, like it's just like you're just trying to front. No, Joe Jackson plays the sax. I don't love this record, though. Um, I think, and the reason I there are some absolutely there are some great songs. Not Among Them is the hit single. I don't really get anything out of You Can't Get What You Want, and uh, maybe you guys do, but I like the verdict. The opening song is dramatic, big, dramatic horns, kind of a Spanish feel to them. A lot of spanish vibes to this entire thing but i actually think the best thing on it is the uh the goofy meatloaf duet now before i go any further scott we again had the same thoughts about
0: happy ending do you want to tell everyone what they were well uh yes and no so happy ending is a, is a duet and it's got a female lead but it's not the female lead you're thinking of so uh happy ending is done with a woman named elaine caswell but throughout the album there was another backing singer that's prominent. She's prominent in places. And I was, uh, I was listening to Body and Soul for the first time in a while, you know, prepping for this episode. And I'm listening and I'm like, that sounds, that sounds like Ellen Foley. And wait, people who... Wait, wait, are you saying that the, that the other backing vocalist
1: actually is Ellen Foley? I thought you were comparing no. that one song. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. wow. So She's they're... actually a guest artist on this record? Yes. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> oh, no,
0: that's hilarious. So, <laughs> so yeah, Ellen Foley, who was uh, the, the, the female part of Paradise by the Dashboard Light and did a lot of early yeah. meatloaf stuff. was and... she also on... D- didn't she also do I Can Do Anything for Love or was that another that's different? Woman? That's a petty different, petty different Russo one. I believe is Got the it. is the singer at that point so Ellen Foley does a lot of backing vocals on this record uh, but doesn't do the co-lead on Happy Ending which as Jeff mentioned and you can continue now if you like is one of the high points of this record
3: I
1: Because okay, first of all, this is a part where, and I guess one of the things you're going to notice about Jackson now as the '80s progress onwards is he's really get, getting unafraid to sort of let his uh, free flag fly, so to speak, in terms of experimenting with different genres. My notes for this are
0: literally like, this sounds like a show tune, it, but uh, a good show tune. And that, that's you stole my note. That's my exact note. I say it's. Music- sounds like it comes from Greece, musical words, theater. Right? You know why it is? Musical theater. Right. Here's why I think it is. It's because of the structure. Um, it's, well, it's first the mm-hmm. duet, of course, but also what, what do you have just before the chorus is these, this string of like four questions, right? Should I, um, uh, should I listen to my heart? Should I do this? Should I do that? And that to me so, is very musical theater-esque, like talking, right, and should I, I thinking, do this? I and sure then the chorus answers more, the question. More, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
3: But it's the same basic idea,
1: right? So yep. I actually really love, by the way, we're talking about the structure of this song. What we're not actually giving <laughs> it enough credit for is this is a beautiful melody. Yeah. It's a really beautiful melody and an interlocking, interweaving set of harmonies. This is a duet with purpose, which is obviously the reason Jackson wrote it. It's like almost like an experiment to see like if you could pull it off. Like the lines, you see musical theater, I think almost like a Disney song as well. In some ways, you could have it like that. And of course, the lyrics aren't disney-like at all right they're very much about like well our happy ending's real and et cetera. Et cetera. it's a very good song but it's not rock i can tell you that much mm-hmm. and some of the other stuff here that isn't rock just like strikes me as boring i think of a song like heart of ice which is like four minutes of instrumental go nowhere and then like a minute of song and i'm not sure why it exists or closes the record there's a lot of uh chops for Chops' sakes and and also uh, 80s production ticks in terms of the sound of the drums and the sounds of the keyboards that really begin to grate on me in a way that is actually, in my opinion, miraculously cured on the next record. So that's why I don't love this one that much. But
0: you guys tell me I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. I really love Body Before? and Soul. Um, I, and I, don't, I disagree about I, – I think there are places where uh, – I'll say this, for the most part, and I think because of the way that he writes and because of the way the songs are structured, that he's able to avoid a lot of the uh, worst excesses of 80s production. And there are a few places where it creeps in, but I don't think, I, I, I didn't hear a lot of it here on Body and Soul. I think it's a really, really well-recorded record. They did this at a big hall in Manhattan, Masonic Hall in Manhattan. and They did it with just two mics, if I read correctly the story about the production on this and you get, I think a really warm feel to a lot of the songs on body and soul. Jeff mentioned the verdict, which is how things start, which is a good one. Uh, I think happy ending is an excellent song. Uh, the two others I would very much want to highlight are what I think is one of his best songs, one of his best melodies. I love not here, not now. Yes. Yes. Um, that's boy, is that a fantastic song. And it is it starts with this, you know, this gentle interplay between the instruments. And it's another instance where I think that um, the the song matches the lyrics because the, the lyrics are a couple. I mean, quite literally like like having dinner. And so not here, not now is like, do you really want to have this fight? Right here, uh, smiling faces all around us. You don't want to make a scene. Not here, not now. And I don't want to cry. Like, let's not do this here in front of all these people. And the chorus is when everything just gets huge. So you have this, this, this. this actually, it's like a release tension. You have the release during the verses, and this tension then comes up during the chorus when the the, the narrator is saying, oh, "Not here, not now. I don't want to cry. Let's not make a scene." The dynamics uh, in that song are just tremendous and there's a wonderful i think it's a trumpet trumpet section too and not here not now that is really a shining example of of his songwriting and that execution this
3: shattered dreams i try to build again but looks cocaine. ¡Ah!
0: And the other one that I really like uh, late, uh, later on is, is Be My Number Two. I, I, I think yes. in both of those places, there's this sense of resignation uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the vocals and the, the delivery. You know, Be My Number Two is, you know, after a divorce or, or a bad breakup, you know, you're not really sure which one. But the way he describes himself, that there, there's not much left of me. What you, what you get is what you see. If it's worth the energy, I'll leave it up to you. I, I'm not even involved here. It'd be great if you could be my number two, be be, be, be next, be be with me in these hard times, but I can't tell you, I'm, I'm going to be great to be around. And it's such a, again, at this very simple piano vocal song that eventually fills up and the full band kicks in very late. And the acoustics on this, and again, I think it's partially the way the album was recorded. I just love the way that song sounds. So I, I really disagree with... The production critique, I guess, uh, on Body and Soul. And I think some of the songs and song writing here is among his very best.
3: Every time I look at you, you'll be who.
1: I'll have you know, by the way, Scott, that you mentioned the two songs that I made very good notes about. <laughs> it, you know, I, I, so I'm, I'm not entirely out to sea, But no, I do. I do believe there's a real a particular contrast between this and the next one. But before we get there, Mike, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I, I I can't believe that uh, that I'm the one who gets to scoop the candy off the top. I, I was going to mention uh, the be my number two because that was that was a popular cut from this record. And then nobody said much about well, you can't get what you want until you know what you want. And the thing I want to say about it is is as as a, a topic we haven't mentioned much at all. I'm coming back to guitar the past few months. I I like a lot of people. You know, I I try. I walk away. I try to walk away. Now I'm back, and I think I'm here to stay and And I listen to this song, and what I want to say is that it lives, it lives in musical tension. Uh, you get the first line, sometimes you start feeling so lost and lonely. Then you find it resolves back to the root. And after that, again, maybe I'm gonna embarrass myself, but I don't think it ever makes it back to the root after that. The whole thing lives in in uh, in in tension, up there, up there beyond the four and the five for the whole thing. Uh, and I find that so interesting to listen to when you recognize it. You go, oh, that's why this song feels so pushed forward, right? It's so obvious because it never comes back except that little second line gives you a bit of relief at the root, and then it goes back. So that's my thought. There's-
1: make me want to go back and give this another shot because i just didn't make too much of an impression on me but you know what there's always something that will fly under the radar for you like that speaking of which i have to go take my guitar out of the closet and get back to playing myself <laughs> listen he- he- here's the thing like i don't know maybe i'm crazy but uh, the reason i i actually even dwell on the production of of you know this one is because i'm genuinely shocked once again by the quality of what came next I, at this point i thought well this is the 80s phase i assume of joe jackson's career There's gonna be a lot of garbage here there isn't really a lot of garbage at all on his next album big world and I gotta say, this truly is one of the best sounding flipping records I have heard in recent years. Scott, you know, told me it was like it was recorded live, apparently like no overdubs, like mm-hmm. straight basically the two track unmixed. Yep. yep. Um, for all of that, what shot and it was live, and so like they had an audience there that just you know waited until the song was over to clap and didn't talk during it, which means this stuff sounds so clean you hear it it does sound live because you hear room echo in a way that you wouldn't in a studio it sounds but you just are shocked when you realize this is live that you're hearing all these various colors and tones and different kinds of guitars pianos keyboards things like that the the incredible layers of production and live performance on this thing make it sound both incredibly spontaneous and live as a live album but also like it sounds produced, which is a miracle. I don't know how it sounds well produced for something that was recorded live. <laughs>
3: She's got a right to say what's good for you
1: But none of this would matter if the songs weren't up to snuff and that is the thing about Big world that really also takes me by surprise. I love the variety of this album. For a bunch of guys that are performing live, they hit so many different tones and styles and approaches. My really my only objection to it is that, of course, it, the format, which is again Joe Jackson being a weirdo, it's like a, a double album. Uh, it, it's like seven, it's sixty minutes or something. So it was he did you know too, he, he too long for one record, yeah. not enough for two. So he just like let side four
0: be a blank. It wasn't on screw purpose it. necessarily. I mean, this was CD era, and it's one of the reasons they did it in this manner, but. I think the way Joe explains it is he was actually trying to figure out what songs to leave off the LP, right? right. And then he just kind of haphazardly said to the record company, why don't you make it a double album and leave one side blank? And they said, okay, we'll do that. I I don't know if it was a real serious suggestion or not, but that's the way it ended up.
1: Yeah. And and you know what? I still would like, I could take maybe a couple of songs off of this, but there are things here that really impressed me. For all the comparisons that were made, between Imperial Bedroom and Night and Day, there are songs here that really sound like the Imperial Bedroom plays. So, like $50 Love Affair, I love that song. Yeah. Oh, With all yeah. the, you know, yeah. the, the accordion, the sophisticated heartache, those piano modulations. That could be the long honeymoon off of Imperial Bedroom. Good but it is call. such a beautiful. Uh, another taste of
3: Cheap delight. sizzling outside washed down with the local poison these back alleys with their pinkish lights and the occasional cries of smugglers bums and credit card holders
1: Beautifully well written. Again, it, it, sort of almost a continental ballad. But I, it, there's just—I I sometimes I'm hearing guitar tones like played live on this record, and I'm asking myself, how was that done without being mixed? So <laughs> I'm very impressed by this one, and I hope for once I'm right with you guys as opposed to at <laughs> cross
2: purposes. Mike, why don't you take this one first? Well, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll make it easy. This is a record that I just have not listened to in a long time. Darn and. and and I assume it's one that hasn't, that didn't make a big impression on me. But I will say the song on this record that I do come back to fairly frequently is Wild West. Oh, and I'll one. tell you why. It's a great song. And it puts me in the mind of Telegraph Road by Dire Straits every time. It's I'll the same that, yeah. sort of I You buy, I yeah, see how it kind of moves yeah. out. I was talking about, 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 about moving west, <laughs> about, about we're going to build beyond this. And, and as much as I love Dire Straits and Mark Knopfler, uh, that that lyric is right on the nose, and this one is more ambiguous, more metaphorical. Mm-hmm. And and although musically I like the Dire Straits song better, lyrically I like this one better. So if if somebody wants to put these lyrics onto Telegraph Road's music, you got something there. There's a mashup I'd listen to right there.
0: Enough. So Jeff and I are going to be diametrically opposed here, and it might be because of of his love for live albums. There, look, this is for what it was. It's incredible that they get the quality that they do. But I must admit, there are in, there are some places here on on on, on a few songs where I, I my ears can hear that it's live, and I I wish it sounded a little fuller in a couple of places. There are a few places where the, the like the drums are probably a little too prominent, but you can't do much about that when you're going, you know, like live to two track. So there I mean, that's nitpicking because the sound that they do get, again, playing in this big theater in New York City. This is at the Roundabout Theater in in New York City. The sound is generally very, very good. And oh, there's 15, 16 songs. As Jeff said, I think you can you could knock a few off and get to a little more of a, of a really solid, outstanding, what, 42, 45 minutes. But there's good stuff here. Right and wrong. Uh, So Joe Jackson played SNL again in 86 when this came out. He played Right and Wrong, which sounded great live. Uh, And they also played uh, Soul Kiss. And he played Soul Kiss and he stops it at exactly a timer on the piano. He stops it at four minutes and says, that's it guys. They gave us four minutes. That's what we played. And they go to commercial. So they gave him this little <laughs> window. He stopped the song at the four minute mark and sent it to commercial. It's just, it's very Joe Jackson. Like, all right, you tell me I got four minutes. I'll play until the four minute mark of the song. That's it. I'm not going to change it. Just going to play that long. Uh, so it's very and you know, funny.
2: You,
0: you get the, you get the idea. Cause my first instinct is, well, he's,
2: he's come this far and his great. can do it every once. And I'm thinking, Nah, he'd probably do that no matter what he has. That's probably <laughs> he's, true. He's, he's going to do his thing.
0: Um, I say, I feel like you guys are underrating this. Oh, Scott, am I interrupting? Yeah, just a couple more. Uh, I, I think Tonight in Forever is a very good song. And Tonight in Forever is probably his most straightforward, you know, rock pop song in some years. It's almost one of the more power pop things. We talked about, you know, Look Sharp being influenced a little by power pop. But this is even more sort of straightforward. Uh, power pop in its structure and, and its arrangement. You drive
3: me crazy and you say that you'll never change, and I could never do what you want to. Don't you find a whole day a little strange? I don't even know if I like you. It's never like you see on a movie screen, but there's something that you do to me. I'm not sure. That I'm
0: Uh, Soul Kiss, which is the one he played on on SNL. I love that boogie boogie piano. Um, He's talking very uh, presently about, you know, material girls and record stores and students voting for actors and hippies working for IBM. And then the other one I want to point out is a documentary of the mid 80s, right? Yeah. Very late uh, hometown, I think, would be like the ideal of a potential Joe Jackson single at that point in time. It's a very pretty song and, and there's a lot of like whimsical beauty to it and a deliberate nostalgia in the lyrics as well. He hits this big soaring note at the end of the chorus and it's, it's a story about a guy, as the title sort of implies, going back to his, his hometown and finding out what's still there and finding out what's not. There is a mismatch between the story and the music the story is kind of a bummer. And the music is kind of upbeat and shiny and uplifting and whimsical. And the thing I I, I picked out of this was this is a very uh, Andy Summers guitar riff, very police guitar riff in in hometown and matched with Joe Jackson's vocals, his delivery. I, I think it's about as 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 good of a shot at the charts as you could imagine from an album like this. That that's that's a really good song. I mean, I
1: guess well, it's just my my noob's experience, but I find so much more to say in praise of this album than either of you two. I, I, I'll say that, yeah, of course I want to edit it myself because that's always my impulse. For, I like short <laughs> albums, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, there there are things here. There are lots of different, I guess, genre experiments that work. I already mentioned uh, $50 Love Affair. But, you know, even a song that you might otherwise characterize as an exercise. There's some songs by Joe Jackson that do feel like they're just sort of piano displays, like Tango Atlantico. I love that thing, man. That has a really nice groove to it. And, again, I, I take telling myself, this is everybody playing live. Nobody gets to fix anything in post. Uh, that's deeply impressive. And then also "Man on the Street," uh, which is the last song, which is as about as rock as the album gets. A lot of this is more pop. This kind of reminds me of the "Oranges and Lemons." XTC's "Oranges and Lemons." I don't know if either of you are familiar with that album from nineteen eighty nine. It's mm-hmm. another sort of like seventy minute. Is it a double album? Is it a single album? Kind of a, a release. But they 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 had some similarities as artists. Um, uh, you know, I really love you know the, you know the sprawl of this record, and I just think that. There's something that was lost here afterwards that doesn't come back for a very long time, in my opinion. So it's why I guess I'm I'm going to be interested in seeing what you guys think about the next several albums, because this is where, well, I have anecdotes about my wife making hilariously negative comments <laughs> about some of these songs when she was like listening to me listen to them.
2: One more thing before we move on from this one, and that is Hometown. And I, and, and as I was talking about the record, I forgot that this is where it originally appears because the cover or the, not the cover, but the, the version of Hometown that I listen to so often is a live version. And this is one of my top five songs. And I simply forgot that's how little this album uh, factors into my, my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hometown is, is an important song for me because, and I don't know, I don't know you guys history, but. I came from a tiny little town, population 500, okay? There were 50 people in my graduating class, and we were hours from any big city. And all I wanted was to get out. All I wanted was to get out. And uh, and, and it took years, and I did, but it took years for me to appreciate what I'd left behind. Mm-hmm. I really thought that I was better than that, and I deserved more and i couldn't find anything positive in it and it took me years to go oh i was the one with the problem not them <laughs> i was the one and this song takes me to that feeling every time and it's another reason that i have such affection for joe jackson even though you know there's so much here in all of his records it's it's impossible at least for a guy like me to be conversant in everything that he does but there are moments when he just puts his hand in my chest and just pulls out my heart and this is one of those songs he's he's he catches what it means to leave and then to know you can never go back it's something else
3: we yeah.
0: And it's probably somewhat autobiographical. He moved a few times around uh, around Britain as, as a youngster with with family. So there's probably a little bit of firsthand experience there, too. Yeah. yeah. And Mike, and,
1: let me tell you this. As, as a kid who was born and raised, you know, growing up in my hometown, uh, I thought to myself, well, I know that I'm, I'm better than Washington, D.C. in Potomac, Maryland. I'm getting <laughs> out of this town. And I was right. I was better than that town, and I'm gone, baby.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I wanted I, 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 wanted to be gone, and I don't want to go back. But the thing is, it was hard to appreciate its benefits. And now I think this may be therapy at this point. You may be charging me for this. I don't know. But at this point, uh, it, it took some distance for me to appreciate what the good things were. And this song, to me, what, although it's not directly addressed – Oh, that's the feeling I get. It gives me an appreciation for something else, which is as high a compliment as I can pay to a piece of art.
1: Well, so this, you know, that that's really beautiful, actually, Mike. And of course, the the problem is, is that we don't get to follow it up with anything except the weirdest experiment of Joe Jackson's career, which is this weird, <laughs> this weird, this, this weird classical album, which I don't even think we really need to discuss willpower had yeah, it happened. It's, it's it's him writing sort of like modern classical music. I've listened to it. And by the way, I'll tell you, I don't hate it. I actually like it. There's some interesting ideas there. I have time for avant-garde classical. I have time for this. My my problem is that it just doesn't really amount to much of anything. And I know this is just so far outside of Scott's wheelhouse that I, I might as well <laughs> be asking him to talk about decoupage or something like that. Right? <laughs> decoupage. You know, Right. I don't think you're an expert in either of them. But uh that really does bring us to like the next you know album. And again, this is uh, – I'm going to tell you, I get surprised by these 80s Jackson albums. I don't know if he likes them. But I think I like Blaze of Glory more than most people. And I think I like it more than most should just because I think it, it starts really strong and it goes to some weird places. <laughs> it's not a top record, but I could at least identify a couple songs, some of them instrumentals, mind you, that really jump out to me.
0: Yeah. I think it's, um, I, I call it a bell curve record. Uh, Cause I, I think unlike, bell curve, um, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, unlike you I actually don't think it starts great, which is why I, I probably put it off in the past. I, I don't, the first, I think two songs, I don't love. Totally different opinions about these albums. It's hilarious. I think, I think down to London, London is a bit better, but then, and, and then I think the end, like discipline. I don't know if we're going to talk about that. That's not a great song, but <laughs> this middle portion of the album, um, I yes. really like. So, probably beginning with Sentimental Thing, in which he does not sing at all. know, he, he writes and arranges. There are other people who sing this beautiful thing he's written. And then there are two back-to-back that I think uh, I really love. And I struggled with whether I'm not going to, I mean, there's so many choices here. If they're going to end up on my list of five at the end, we'll see. But uh, Instrumental, I, I this might be my favorite Instrumental that he has written. And I know why you like it, Which one? Jeff, uh, Acropolis Now
1: yes
0: absolutely it's proggy but my little note is like
1: wtf is
0: this what the f is it's like where did this thing come from it's great but you were saying it's it's proggy and that's why you like it it's got this proggy little (laughs) keyboard part and this insistent bass rift and uh and i can absolutely see why you would like it but the thing is i like it too it's really good i really like It's got uh, that
3: little greek
1: kind of riff going yep. through it and it sounds like it could be like noi or like echoing the bunny man or mm-hmm. something like that it's yeah it's, it's not the normal joe jackson sound that you associate with but talk about something that just comes out of nowhere and impresses you.
0: I think that's the very next song. The title track "Blaze of Glory" is probably my favorite song uh, on the record. And there's kind of this theme throughout "Blaze of Glory" of sort of looking back from the like the '50s to the '80s. And there's like an underlying side theme about rock stars and how they age. Because you know Jackson by this point is is not old by any stretch, but he's been in the business for a, a good decade. And "Blaze of Glory," uh, you know, starts with this acoustic guitar and vocal. It slowly builds throughout. And I, uh, I, 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 I think about, I know, don't laugh. I, I think about Bad Company's uh, Shooting Star. And the theme here is very, very similar. And I do wonder if it was intentional because the first line is very similar. Uh, shooting Star by Bad Company was, you know, Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles song. And the first line of Blaze of Glory is, Johnny was a young boy. Um, and it's, you know, thematically very similar where Johnny is a young boy, Johnny becomes a big rock star. And then he went out in a blaze of glory, And Jackson, in a way, is saying maybe that's better to go out in a blaze of glory. The rest of us will just fade away. Uh, Didn't have that moment in in the sun uh, like like Johnny did in, in Blaze of Glory. It's a really well done track. Well,
3: nowadays, there's lots of guys like Johnny. found in Memphis when the moon is full and high, and I wonder if.
0: Rave comes right after. I think by the end, Rat and Rave gets into a really good place. It really cooks at the end with this horn, piano, drum, percussion workout at the end of that song. That stretch there is almost worth the price of admission uh, itself. Those four, five songs right in the center of this album.
1: Mike, any thoughts about this weird late 80s version of Joe Jackson?
2: Yeah. One, one song on here I come back to. And this is, uh, this is what we'll call the, the, uh, the cheap thrill, the, uh, the indulgence. And that is 19 forever. One of those obviously ironic about, I'm not really going to be 19 forever. We understand from the subtext here, but I'm going to talk about how great it is to be young, even though it's obvious it's not the only thing there is. And I just, I love listening to this. Uh, it's so on the nose and, uh, it's, it's kind of a, I, is that, is that, you think that's wrong to say that it's kind of a cheap, cheap way out? But, but, it, but it, I like it. I just like it. Um, any thoughts from you guys on that? You, you understand the vibe I get from this song is like anybody could have done this, but when Joe Jackson does it, somehow it's better.
1: Of course, of course. That's because the, the, the style is assured, and the way it comes across is, 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 is just, you know, it's a guy who's been doing it this entire life.
3: Well, I'll be rock and roll star.
1: I mean, there are things here that I actually really do enjoy. Um, As I said, like, you know, Scott doesn't like the opening. I think it it all flows into itself very well. Like Tomorrow's World, I wouldn't like that song if it didn't go straight into Me and You, which I do like. It's another one of those meatloafy duets, right? But Down to (laughs) London, I really like that song. That's very much a throwback to a much more older organic song. And it even ends with this big honking sax solo that That's, goes into like sentimental thing which again is like stage Disney stuff right it's, it's it, got I, a little
0: I, it did, it's got a little Carol King piano on it too which I yeah, feel exactly. you, you would like but
1: it, I mean it is it's it, it strings it is it's, every second is sentimental as you would expect from the name like yeah i mean i think these are pretty great songs and i just you know again there's just not enough of them and the production is really i keep going back to this it's beginning to weigh on me the problem with the studio albums from this era the, the sonics just make everything sound generic but like me and you the song that you don't like there's a really good melody in there i think it's just insufficiently put across by the mix the mix of his vocals he doesn't actually get the notes it doesn't you have to actually strive to hear them and i just think it doesn't do him any favors you
0: that, what you're saying though I was, that's actually one of the reasons i think the beginning of the album suffers it is too boomy and busy yep. and loud and doesn't really yes. doesn't service the songs i agree
1: completely but you know it, it may not be great but it's a damn sight better than the next album. And again, I have no idea what <laughs> you guys think about laughter and lust from 1991, where he, he left a and This is his only album, I think, with like Virgin or maybe he did a couple it's, of others. He did a couple it's like of his only, Virgin,
0: but it's fir- first but, one with Virgin, yeah.
1: His first one. And uh, boy, I don't know. I'm surprised it wasn't his last. This is the album I was playing it this morning and my wife was listening to a song that was there and she literally said to me like, like, This sounds like music I would have heard at Six Flags as a kid, which is not meant as a compliment, my friends. (laughs) Uh, Just Uh, 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 loud, uh. flattersome, sort of generic production sounds, mundane in the worst way for the most part. And there was one song in particular that a lot of people would kind of tip me in advance on Twitter to pay attention to here, which is a cover of of one of my favorite songs. Oh, well, by Fleetwood Mac, the Peter Green version of Fleetwood Mac from 1969. And I thought, well, when I get to this, that'll be nice. No, I hate it. I think it's one of the worst and most ham handed covers of that song I could have imagined. I don't don't better it. I don't like it. You don't. I don't like it either. Oh, good. Because like the Black Crows did it with Jimmy Page. That was a cover version <laughs> that worked. Okay. Uh, this one just sounds wrong. And like, cla- again, you know, clattersomely early nineties metallic. This, this is again, the thing that my wife singled out, bless her heart. She's like, this is like all of the worst production ticks of like an Alana Miles single from 1991 or something like that. Uh, and Alana Miles.
2: What yeah, being around the world and I, 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 I can't find my baby.
1: Remember? I remember what it was like to be 11, man. Yes. Um, but yeah, so like, no, I just, this one just, I gotta say, it does almost nothing for me. And I know Scott already has told me that he likes a couple of tracks from it. So why don't you take it up here, bud?
0: I do. I don't think it's perfect by any means. And I do think there's a certain sense, and we, we've talked enough about Joe Jackson, and um, I, I think it's safe to say he, he's not going to do something unless he wants to do it. Sure. And I don't think this is some sort of intentional... I've got to make a hit record. Uh, I've got to have a hit single, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, But I do think there's probably a little unconscious, uh, hey, it's my first record for Virgin. I guess it would be okay if I made something slightly more attractive to the masses. Uh, By and large, this is his most um, pop, um, his most accessible uh, set of songs, I think, in quite a long time. And uh, it didn't work. I mean, if it makes it feel better, it didn't actually you know, sell much of anything. People weren't uh, getting back into Joe Jackson in 1991. They were you know, into other things by that point. But I do think that it creates a little bit of an uneven album. As Jeff said, yeah, look, there are some production things here that I, I think don't work. And and, and and don't lend a lot of credibility or help to the songs. I think Obvious Song, which is the first track and was one of the singles, is not a real good song. It's a, it's, a, it's a misstep in just the way it sort of over-aggressively positions Joe Jackson as a rocker. Which by this point, he still could, of course, but that's not the way he'd been writing for a long time. But there are really good places to look here. Stranger Than Fiction is a really good song. It's got a gorgeous bridge it's a well, i think third song on this record and um and again you get back into him writing some really good lyrics which i would say were a little more hit and miss on the past couple of albums but here you get uh, when love grows it grows like a flower or grows like a tumor love shows that god has a sense of humor
3: excuse me operator tell me what time it is
0: The other one late i think my house is really a great track uh my house it's um there's another song in here called it's It's all too much and there's a bit of a bernie sanders-esque thing to it where he's complaining about 100 mineral mineral waters and 200 choices and cookies and it's too much and it's going to drive me to the brink and my house sort of continues that uh conversation where he's driving home to new jersey and he doesn't really want to go home but he also doesn't really want to go anywhere else and there's a red light which is a warning sign he's saying there's a what, six foot Puerto Rican hooker. He mentions her twice and maybe he's going to do that. And one of these days he's going to smash someone's car. There's this very real sense of desperation in places on this record. And My House is actually uh, a good track too. It's a good song. And then the other one that I would would highlight is hit single, which of course was not a hit single, but not for lack of trying. I I think it's a really well-constructed song, really good pop song on, on two levels, you know, Hit single being someone unattached, no girlfriend, not married. That's the first half of the song. And the second half is talking about the literal hit single. If you can have a hit single, and I will just quote this final verse from the song. When I die and go to pure pop heaven, the angels will gather around and ask me for my whole life story and ask for that fabulous sound. But I know they're going to stop me as I start going through every line and say, please, not the whole damn album. Nobody has that much time. Just the hit single, so the uh, the the, the, uh, the complications of writing uh, an album and a song and trying to actually find some success are wrapped up very well in uh, three and a half minutes or so on on hit single.
2: Just gonna, I was just going to say that I, I agree with you about hit single. I, I I believe you like it. That's what I'm getting. I, I like that song a yes. lot on there. Yes. You know you know how you uh you, you you maybe you you have a a dish on your table or a meal or something, and every element of it you point to and you go that oh, yeah it's not good and then and then you eat it all together and you're like oh this is wonderful. That to me is laughter and lust. Everything you guys <laughs> said I'm going ah uh, yeah they're right. Uh, yeah, they're right. And yet, this is the record I've been playing a lot the past couple of weeks. I so really it's still, like as long it. as
1: you don't think about how the hot dog was made, it tastes real yeah. good. <laughs>
2: that, that is such a good analogy. It's, it's like I recognize all the flaws now when I hear them from you, but just to play it, like obvious. I love obvious song. I think that's great. Uh hit single, I I love that. But I want to I want to mention, oh, the thing about uh oh well, that's the song that I really come back to. And you are absolutely right, you guys. It is the most soulless cover of Oh well that may have ever been recorded. Uh uh and and then when he gets to that after he does the the, the sort of the chorus there, and there's that is a song that should play behind uh Mission Impossible when Tom Cruise is sneaking around in a building in the dark. It's that kind of like somebody hears it six yeah. flags music. Oh, uh, I think your wife said that, uh Jeff. Uh, that was about and, and a later that,
1: song. I think it was the other me. I think I'm going to what she uh, said. No, that about. I can't remember. It fits here
2: too. So the record, you know, the record, the record has all these flaws and yet somehow fit it together. This is one of those things where I like Joe Jackson so much that it's sort of like, ah, it's, it's Joe Jackson. What are you complaining about? This so that's thing, my like, take I have on f- Laughter have- and Lust.
1: Mike, I have a strong feeling I'm going to eventually evolve into this position because I've really come to like this guy and I'm going to be listening to all the way I do it. I'm going to listen to all this stuff again. And for all I know, I'll hear something else. But, you know, this is the thing. This this kind of draws the curtain closed for a long time on Joe Jackson's. Like, what did Scott, you're going to tell me. He said he just had, found he had complete writer's block after this album. And yeah, so he just I, I don't have the
0: quote in front of me, but he essentially says he, he couldn't write and didn't even want to listen to any sort of, you know, pop music. He, it was all he, he toured uh, Laughter and Lust and came back and like, i, I just tired of everything and don't want to hear, you know, pop music, rock music, any any sort of music really again. Uh, so that was about a decade before, and so
1: he started doing like, yep. like classical music experiments in the meantime. That I I don't think we're going to discuss, right? And so like this, that I guess sort of opens us opens the question for the last part of the show is like, well, how do we discuss these last sort of several post hiatus uh, albums in his career? Beginning with never a good sign when you 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 title an album a sequel. I gotta tell you right now. So night and day two, um, yeah. I am not a fan of this record, and I don't know whether you guys have listened to it too much yourselves, but it, uh, this was not the one I was looking for. Th- Thankfully, there would be a later one where he returns to, you know, to, to a much more rock form that actually surprised the socks off of me. But what do you think about this one?
0: I'll speak for myself. I, I, I don't know if I ever heard the whole thing. Uh, past laughter and lust, there are only I really have two or maybe three touch points with the remainder of the the Joe Jackson releases. And I did not come back uh, for night in day two. And again, I'm not saying it was a move to sort of try to try to find success. But if it were, it didn't work either. It didn't even chart uh, even with the night and day pedigree. It did not chart uh, in, in the U.S.,
2: it's, uh, it, it's not it's not much of a record in my in my consciousness, uh, which uh, which leads me to say it may turn out to be another laughter and lust where I listen to it and go, oh, yeah, it's got problems, but I love it. But right now, that's not where it is at all. It's just one I don't think much about.
1: I I, I, I found it wholly unprepossessing. And that was why I basically it's sort of, you know, at this point, I'm I'm getting ready to sort of check out you know intellectually you know and like exploring the later era of discography but then something happened that genuinely surprised me which is his actual next studio album which is called volume four why is it volume four because there were three albums with the original joe jackson band that was you know obviously look sharp i'm the man and then Beat crazy and then of course he went in all these other different directions well the joe jackson band is back together again and this sounds like it could have been the stupidest gimmick on the planet because, I mean, have you ever heard what the Pixies reunion album sounds like? Or the My Bloody Valentine reunion album sounds like they're not good. These are always depressing footnotes. I actually think volume four is a really fine album. I am surprised at how fantastic this band remains and how much these songs all sound better when reduced to this more basic format. So after my wife was laughing about how horrible she thought albums like Laughter and Lust were. Uh, <laughs> then we put on Take It Like a Man and immediately she pops her head in the room and says, this is much better now. This is much better. <laughs> I, I love that piano line. That little piano line that, that Jackson keeps playing on, Take It Like a Man. Just a little filigree, right? Oh, but it, it, it sings throughout the entire song and I think it really works. I think this is a uh, you know a quiet, real comeback and I think this is the last one that I've really paid a lot of attention to except for the live album that comes after it and that's because Mike cued me on that one. But this is a surprisingly great record that I guess figure is going to get, you know, forgotten about but doesn't really deserve to. It holds up. Small,
3: sexy, small.
0: It's a good album. I bought it based on the uh, the sell that it was the reunion of the original Joe Jackson band. So how bad could it be? And uh, it was not bad at all. Take it like a man, which is the first track. Yeah, I think that's the highlight. That's a really good song. The next one, still alive, is very good. There's one a little later. I think it's love at first light, which is also very very good. Mm-hmm. I return to that one quite often. And the band sounds great. You know, it was 25 years uh, since they. Since they broke up, I believe, or twenty-five years since the debut, I think, is the was the uh, reunion or the yeah for the recording of Look Sharp, which was late in '78, uh, to get back together and do Volume Four, and yeah, darn if it, they don't sound good. I, it's not of of equal quality to those first three records, probably, but there are some places in which they sound really great, and Volume Four is worth uh, checking out. The follow-up to that is Rain which also has the same lineup except uh, the guitarist uh, uh, Sanford is not there, but it's it's Graham Maybe and David Houghton on drums. And it's not quite as good, but I do recommend one particular track from this album, which again is, uh, I always run back to here, and it's called King Pleasure Time. And again, just has this really outstanding Graham Maybe bass line. It's less than three minutes, I think. It's not a long one, but it does sort of fit into... uh, the, 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 that that beginning style of his career very prominent piano line
3: King pleasure gonna, gonna get, get you, you.
0: Uh, very quickly a, an interview with joe jackson in which she was talking about how uh, very rarely he has piano and guitar in the same song which is another ben folds reference i guess you could take and he was saying he when he composes he thinks of both the piano and the guitar as being divas and he says you can't have two divas in the same song so if he's composing writing you're gonna be piano or it's going to be guitar. And so, you know, a lot of those first two albums are very heavy guitar, and then you get into a very heavy piano, you know, portion of his career. But he's always trying to write those things separately in his songs.
1: That makes a lot of sense when you think about it, actually. Mike, did you have any thoughts on this one, the reunion
2: gig? I I do, and I I want to use that as a jumping off point, because, because when you talk about after a certain point, there's this sort of dry period, and I think elements of that dry period extend... Extend through 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 these records too. Uh, I don't think you get much argument about that. But uh, what what's worth saying, and I think I may have said this at the top of our of our discussion here, is that every record has something on it to recommend it. And and uh, when we were back at uh, night and day two, for instance, you know, it's not a record that I listen to very often, but Happy Land. Boy, there's a song to come back. Doesn't even seem to fit on the album, but it's a, it's a, it's another one of those real life things. It's about the uh, Happy Land uh, uh, nightclub fire in in 1990 in the Bronx. It's it's well done piece of work. Uh, Awkward Age from from Volume Four. That's yes, the go to for me. What a great song that is. The point being, and, and Rain and the other few that we have coming up, you can find a great song on all of these. Night music, which I see here is the 1994 uh, release, and, and we didn't even say the name. But there's another great song on there called The Man Who Wrote Danny Boy. And it's one of those rare Joe Jackson excursions into storytelling. And it's marvelous about a guy selling his soul for a little talent. It's a it's a classic whole kind of thing about uh, about the devil making an appearance. So you're going to find something on all these otherwise forgotten records, and you're going to be tickled that you're the one who found it. He
3: gave me a wink, and he said it was funny how mortals would pour all their blood, sweat, and tears onto tape, onto paper, or into the air to be Lost and forgotten Outside of his kind implore. Then I thought I could hear A great sound in the distance of Whiskey soaked singing And laughter and cheers They're saying that song Could bring tears to a glass eye so pass me the papers, I'll sign them in blood. And the smell of the brimstone is turned into grease paint. And the roar of the crowd like the furies of hell. And I hear the applause and I hear the bells ringing. And the sound of a woman's voice from the next room.
1: So, do we have anything to say about these these last few records? Uh, you know, the ones. I mean, I think his most recent one was in 2019. I, I will confess, I haven't listened to the last two. I will say that I have listened to the live records, uh, and I do think I have a, a surprising amount to say about those. But I, I, before I got there, um, I wanted to know, Scott or Mike, whether you guys had any thoughts about these. This sort of to sort of wind up the sort of the discography of Joe Jackson.
0: I I really don't. I haven't heard a vast majority. I've read a a couple of really good things about Fast Forward, which was, what, uh, about six, seven years ago. But I haven't heard the whole thing. It's a long, I think it might be a double album. So I I have not dove into that quite yet.
1: Yes. I mean, I mean, neither have I. And no one's perfect. We all have a limited number of hours in the day. and, And unfortunately for me, given the fact that, as you correctly said, I love live albums, I spent a lot of those hours just listening to George Jackson live, and here's something I really want to emphasize because it hasn't been discussed nearly enough on this show. The guy was amazing as a live performer. He was amazing as a live performer because, and this goes back to the thing I said right at the start of the show, he seems to have been an incredibly good band leader in terms of picking the people who we wanted to play with him to get the sounds that he did. There's this Afterlife live album that I already know Mike talked about. It's where his favorite version of Stepping Out comes from. It's the first song on the record. Fantastic. It's the reunion one. It comes right after the volume four. Uh, The band still has it, man. And they still sound fantastic on all of these songs. But for me, I mean, and I, I might actually even recommend this at the end of the show, um live 1980 86 is a is a cd release that i can't recommend strongly enough if you want to understand what makes joe jackson great because it's just excerpts from four different eras of his performing career first is 1980 it's still the rockest you know the original band but then there's stuff from the night and day tour there's stuff from the body and soul tour there's stuff from the big world tour those four tours and The way his music constantly evolves through rearrangements, through different bands, different interpretations is frankly fascinating that one record alone there are three separate versions of is she really going out with him on it okay and you might think to yourself because that sounds like the most ridiculous indulgence ever why do i need to hear it three times you absolutely need to hear this song in all three versions of it because it's three different songs first version is just kind of like the normal band one that you might have heard from like you know if you'd seen them live in the late 70s right um there's this later one that sounds like an XTC pop like confection, like almost like it was <laughs> conceived in like, you know, Willy Wonka's factory. But in the middle, there's something that I find to be utterly magical, which is a purely a cappella rendition of is she really going out with him. He's got like two beautiful soul singers in the background who are like going woo woo, there's a tambourine, it's the only instrument on it, and you just have like four or five voices recreating this song in a way that to be perfectly honest excites me even more than the original version and i think you're going to hear a lot of the performances on that little set uh, scott i suppose excluded because he's just his eyes or ears are rather forever closed <laughs> to great live music <laughs> this is actually a really great way to start with joe jackson and it's the strangest thing i ever thought i'd find myself saying by the end of this show One, two,
4: three, four. <laughs> Pretty women are walking with
3: gorillas down the high streets. From my window I'm staring while my coffee So wow. Um...
2: I agree with you about, about live stuff. In his case, I'm one of those guys who doesn't much care for the live music, and yet I'd say I have I, I have his whole collection here. I think I have, I and a lot of bootlegs too. And uh, and this is a guy whose live records I come back to as often as I do the studio stuff because you just never know. He is, um, he is. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's not only an artist, he's also an entertainer. And he's that special kind of entertainer who, once they've reached the point where they can do what they want, they don't just do what they want. They do what you want. I remember when I did stand up, I was just getting started and I, I came off stage and the, uh, the guy who ran the club, he said, Hey, Mike, you need to take that, that particular bit out of your act. And I said, oh, I like that bit. And he goes, it's not getting any laughs. And I said, but I do that for me. And he said, you're not up there for you you're up there for them. He said you're up there so I can sell drinks and they will stay. Take it out. And he was he was so right. And that's Joe Jackson, but he's that really a one-off guy who seems to please himself and us at the same time. <laughs> How wonderful to be to be alive at a time when a guy like this is has not only given us his catalog, but he's got more in front of him. Uh, I I can't say enough wonderful He's living things at Ricky Nelson's
1: Jackson. garden party. You know that's not garden uh, party. Yes, you can't you yes. can't please everyone, so you might as well just please yourself, right? And yes, that's what he's been doing yes. this whole time.
0: That yeah. seems right, like Scott. a good place to leave it as uh, the political beats look at the career and music of Joe Jackson. We uh, come to the part of the show where we give you the two albums you should own, the five songs you need to hear from our featured artist today, Joe Jackson. And as always, our guest has the floor to begin. Mike Long, two albums, all right. five songs, please. The the two albums. Well, you know, there's always the obvious stuff to go with,
2: but I don't want to go with the obvious stuff. I want people to listen to stuff that they may not uh, have have heard otherwise. So I'm going to go with Fast Forward, as one of those records is it definitive no but it's going to take you places you haven't been and uh then i'm going to go with mike's murder because you need to hear that as well now jeff i think you said it's only available as an add-in as as another yeah
1: it's like, it's like you can get it now on like the bonus disc of the the night and night day, and day. To yep. issue, right?
2: it is, is three th-
0: separately too though you if you search for mike's murder on streaming services it should be there yeah
2: yeah, you you know all the you know all the great records. You don't need me to recommend those, but I'll recommend those two albums to take you some new places with Joe Jackson.
0: And then, and the, did you want to hear
2: my top five yes, now too, or yes. go Go ahead, there? go ahead. All right, all right. Well, this one I can't resist the obvious. Okay, number five is "Hometown." You've heard me, <clears throat> excuse me, talk about that already. "Hometown." Listen to the live or any of the live versions are fine. Uh, then my number four song is on your radio, which as I've said, is a Ben Folds song before Ben Folds was out of school. That's wonderful. Number three, it's different for girls takes the old boys are in it for the sex girls want love and flips it completely around. As we discussed here, listen to it with that in your head. You'll never hear it the same way. Uh, and then number, uh, number two is, uh, one more time. And I love it, not just because of that edgy guitar in it, but the fact that it is, uh, it, it, it follows on afterlife, the, uh, the live record, it follows stepping out in a slow, dreamy version that, as I've said, is wonderful. So those are my five, uh, my five favorites. The live mix of stepping out followed by one more time. It's different for girls in the studio on your radio and then the live version of hometown. You're going to love them.
0: All right, my uh, two albums, I'm not ashamed to tell you to get some of the well-known stuff, although I'm going to cheat a bit, as Jeff usually does. Uh, I told you I have trouble even separating what songs on which album from those first twos. They were released the same year, so I I am merging them together uh, and asking you to say, I'm uh, listening to and and, and own I'm the Look Sharp Man, and uh, you'll have everything (laughs) from those first two albums. And then uh, uh, Body and Soul. Body and Soul is the other album from his career that I think you really... Should own songs themselves. I'm limiting myself to one from the first one from the second. So I think the the title track from the first album begins to show you Joe Jackson flexing his songwriting muscles, really. So look sharp. I think Geraldine and John from uh, from the second album, I'm the man. And then uh, from things that you might not have heard later on, uh, Not Here, Not Now, one of his greatest songs, I think Uh, the title track from Blaze of Glory is excellent. And then I'm throwing on Stranger Than Fiction as well. Those are my five. And of course, you need to hear uh, the album version of Stepping Out as well, which is my number six. Jeff, over to you.
1: Well, I'm trying to maximize the spread as I often do on Political Beats. So I'm going to start by saying my two albums are I'm the Man. And this is the weird pick. It's going to be live 1980-86 if you're just going to get two albums that would actually introduce you to the full span of what Jackson was doing in all of its greatness it's those two, right? And then my five tracks will be taken from not those albums. So from uh, Look Sharp, if I had to pick one, oh god, one more time I'm going to have to agree with Mike on that from Beat Crazy, since I'm skipping I'm the man, I'm going to say One to One is a magnificent song. From uh, Night and Day duh, it's stepping out, okay Um, I want to go over to Big World and say $50 Love Affair, which is actually sort of i guess as i said it's the imperial bedroom play everyone thought night and day was well you find it here it's a beautiful song and then from blaze of glory i'll actually pick acropolis now this weird instrumental that has no reason to really be there but boy i, I certainly dig it and it's as uh, non-standard for jackson as you'd ever expect and of course you know i often do this because i'm the host and i get to do it as host prerogative i'm gonna pick a bonus sixth track I'm the new guy to Joe Jackson and I'm going to say that live acapella version from 1983 of Is She Really Going Out With Him on the night and day tour is one of the most surprisingly beautiful things that I heard in his entire catalog and just a testament to how well written the original song is that you can repurpose it in seven different ways and it never gets boring. That that really to me kind of encapsulates what a wonderful discovery Joe Jackson has been for me this month and why I'm gonna keep returning to this music for a long time.
0: political beats look at joe jackson we think our guest on today's program mike long occasional writer over at national review author of the molecule of more and look for his new book coming in the fall of 2024 mike thanks so much for repeating as a guest with us here on political beats thank you all right uh jeff we're coming to the close of 2023 we've got And exclusive content to do in November. We probably squeeze in one more full episode. We've got our Ask Us Anything. Do we do a mailbag for December? When do we do our mailbag? We do, uh, December is our Ask Us Anything mailbag episode for exclusive content. So we'll be putting out a call for questions on that coming up soon. Good. sounds good all right check us out over at patreon.com slash political beats you can get involved in that ask us anything episode entry-level support mid-level support and then the upper level best friend for all sorts of access and bonus episodes and remastered stuff and playlists patreon.com slash political beats also follow the show on apple podcasts google podcast tune in or right there at nationalreview.com find all the audio there We're on Facebook. We're also on X, formerly Twitter, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.